Are you like me? Do you love the holidays? Uh, it took me a long time to really figure out that I am kind of a holiday nut. Um, and uh, we're pushing a brand new holiday season. Uh, unfortunately, it's during COVID, which changes a lot of things. It doesn't mean that we get to go and hang out with our families. It doesn't mean that Gene and I get to travel back to the East Coast. But what it does mean is that we can fall back on comfortable holiday traditions. And one of my favorite things to do during the holidays is watch movies. Now, I'm recording this episode right before Halloween, so we're, we're laying this down early. Uh, and through the whole month of October, you guys have seen me posting about it. I've been posting about my favorite horror movies and the movies that I've been watching this year. And man, I have watched a bunch of them. I mean, besides work, what else do we have to do? Work and food. I can't wait for Thanksgiving because that's a big food holiday for me. And one of my favorite, favorite things about Christmas for me is the movies. And let me ask you guys this. What, do you, what is your favorite holiday movie? And what do you consider a holiday movie? I know a lot of you out there are like, look, Frosty the Snowman. You guys are Home Alone fans. Home Alone's a great one. Um, but for me, a lot of the holiday films are a little bit different. I would consider Gremlins a holiday film, a Christmas movie, even though most people would consider that a horror movie. And I know that there's a lot of you out there who agree with me because I see you posting about it all the time. Die Hard. Die Hard is definitely a Christmas movie for me. And another film that is a big Christmas movie for me that's a little bit different is Lethal Weapon. I'm a huge Lethal Weapon fan. I'm a huge Richard Donner fan. And it goes without saying that I am a big-time Mel Gibson fan. Now, not only has Mel played some of the best characters in cinema, in my opinion. I mean, we're talking about Mad Max, right? We're talking about Martin Riggs. I mean, but he's also an Academy Award-winning director. I mean, this guy makes really amazing epic films. And for years, he sort of fell off the map for multiple reasons. But I've missed him. I've missed that character on screen. And slowly but surely, he's been working his way back in to cinema. And one of the exciting parts about it for me as a young filmmaker is that he's been doing a lot of independent films, which has been very, very exciting. Get the Gringo is a great movie. Um, Bloodfather, right? That was Bloodfather was the other one that he did. He was fantastic in that. And he's got this new look. He's got this new vibe now, which is just bearded and rugged. And he's leaning into it, which I really like. And one of my favorite parts about Mel is his face. Like he has the ability to just pull an entire audience in with a look. I mean, I'm dying to put him in front of one of my cameras. I would love, love, love to work with Mel Gibson. A few weeks ago, I was surfing or no, it wasn't. I think Gina sent me the link. I think that's how it happened. It was a few weeks ago. I had a link sent to me for this film starring Mel Gibson. It was called Fat Man. <laughs> now, right off the bat, you got me at the title, right? And I don't know if you guys have seen it yet. If you haven't watched the trailer, we'll put a link below this episode. Stop listening right now and watch the trailer. Go to doubletheprocess.com, click on the episode link, and right afterwards, come back. 
I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I've lost my influence. Maybe it's time I retired the coat. You still have it. Some kids with a deer rifle put two holes in the sleigh, one in me. All I have is a loathing for a world that's forgotten. United States military would like to procure your services. This is a one-time deal, gentlemen. You just lost a big son, Batman! What's the job? I'd like you to kill Santa Claus. This is what people actually think of me. Christmas is a farce. I'm a joke. What's the purpose of your visit? Hunting. I'm gonna kill some things. There is a rising number of our youth making poor decisions. What the big man's head? Severed heads rot, they mold. They don't want his beard. I'm not shaving off a dead man's beard. Your workers sure have healthy appetites. That's why elves live much longer than humans. And Chris, he does the same? <laughs> no, it's a giving that keeps him young. Okay, so it's a fucking banging trailer, correct? Not only is Mel Gibson in it, but Walton Goggins is in it. And for those of you who don't know who Walton is, uh, initially he started, uh, was he on Deadwood? No, he was on Justified on television. I think he had a small part. What was the cop drama that he was in? Fuck, you would think I would have done my research. Uh, with Michael Chiklis, he was on that show too. Um, but then fast forward, right? Vice Principals. How many Tarantino movies has he been in? He was in The Hateful Eight, right? He was in uh, Django, Unchained. Amazing in both those movies. And he does such a good job of playing just a really dark, disturbed, wonderfully colorful character. And the thing that I loved about him in Vice Principals, and whenever he teams up with like Danny McBride and those guys, is that he's got a great sense of humor. <laughs> so look at that team up, right? You've got Mel Gibson playing an iconic role because it's in the trailer. I'm not giving anything away. He's playing Santa Claus and he's playing such a fascinating take on Santa Claus. And Goggins is playing a hitman who is hired by a kid who was unhappy with his gift to go kill Santa Claus. You've got me. Like instantly, you've got me. So the other thing that impresses me about this trailer is its tone, is its vibe, right? When you watch this thing, it feels like you've taken Coen Brothers, maybe a slight bit of Tarantino, but I think whatever Tarantino influences in there comes from the Westerns that Tarantino has been influenced by. So now you're going back to like John Ford and you're looking at that. And so the first thing I said to myself was like, who made this? Who produced this? And it's obviously an independent film because you can tell that they're being very smart about how they're using the budget, especially if you watch the trailer. But it, the tone and the vibe is so correct. And I couldn't help but think that if this trailer had come out, if this movie was coming out in like the late 90s, this would be top of the list. You'd see fucking billboards everywhere for this film. So I'm fucking excited because I love those films. And instantly looking at this trailer, I'm like, maybe this is the new holiday classic that I didn't know I wanted. <laughs> and let me tell you, spoiler alert, 
I got a teaser. I got to see it. I got to see the whole movie. And I'm just going to say this. It fucking does. It lives up to it. The movie is so fantastic. It's fantastically acted. It is one of my favorite Mel Gibson roles in a long, long time. And the direction is spot on. So these guys have made a few movies which I have not seen and I cannot wait to see. And I didn't know they existed until I saw this trailer. So immediately, I knew that I had to get these guys on the show. Immediately, I knew that I had to do a whole episode about this Christmas classic because I feel like I'm first. I feel like somehow we beat everybody to this. And we found it before anybody else. And I'm fucking happy we did, man. Because I'm telling you right now, I already watched it twice until my link run at, ran out. And this is going to be one of my watch movies for Christmas every year. This is laying in with Lethal Weapon. This is laying in with Home Alone. It's fitting in there perfectly with it. And let me just say, it is as violent, as dark, as heartwarming as it looks in the trailer. These guys pay it off, which is very fucking rare, right? Because most of the time, the budgets are so small for half this stuff, you're just shooting trailer meat. How many times have you watched a trailer going, this movie's gonna be fucking great, but all the best shots are in the trailer? Uh-uh, this movie's loaded with them. Loaded with great content. And I cannot fucking wait, it's coming out. I think I'm putting this episode out as it comes out. I think this will come out the week that the movie's available to you guys. I think that's what we discussed. So I apologize if I don't know so right now, but like I said, I'm ahead of the game. I'm recording this like right before Halloween. So there you go. Busting our asses for you guys, trying to nail as much great content as possible. And man, today's guests are a get. I am talking about the Nelms brothers, Ian and Esham. These two are like the new Cohen brothers in my mind. I want to know how they went from doing short films to doing a few features to like their last feature, which I'm really fucking pumped about seeing. I haven't seen it yet. It's called Small Time Crime and it premiered at South by Southwest. It's got John Hawks in it, who's from Deadwood, who's amazing in fucking Deadwood. Uh, and it has the legend Robert Forrester in it. These guys have somehow have an ability to cast some of the legends of cinema in their pieces. Really smart casting on their parts. And it makes this new movie. The casting makes this movie. And it isn't just the casting. They're able to back it up with solid skill directing skill, filmmaker skill, cinematic skill, it's all fucking there. Oh, I can't say enough good things. And if I sound excited, that's because I am excited about this episode. But before we get to it, I just want to thank everybody for following me on Instagram, at my Petchy on Instagram, at In Love With The Process Pod on Instagram. If you were following me there, you probably saw this trailer the fucking day it came out, because we dropped it immediately. Um, but also, there you're able to find all sorts of great stuff that we're posting, whether it's other trailers, the work of the guests that's, that have been on the show. I also post a lot of behind the scenes stuff, stuff that I've been working on and Gina's been working on. And if you missed the boat, if you missed the boat and you didn't order one of the t-shirts that you've been seeing pictures of all over my Instagram, because I warned you that it was a limited run, well, good news. I knew that there'd be a handful of you guys pissed off that you didn't get them. We're pushing on the holiday season. 
I ordered myself a handful. I ordered a box from uh, Upstate Merch who did all of our printing and they did a fantastic job. Like if you got a shirt, you could see how beautifully screen printed these things are. And the quality of the shirts are amazing. And I ordered a few extra. So I personally have a box of shirts. Specific sizes still kicking around. So if you want one, write to me on Instagram. I'm going to be giving away some shirts, but if you want one, if you want to support me and you want to support the show, write to me on Instagram and I'll sell you a shirt. And if you even, if you, if, if you want, I might even sign it for you. <laughs> Listen to the ego on this dickhead. <laughs> I might even sign it for you. So go follow me on Instagram. And those of you just showing up because you saw our graphics with Mel Gibson on it, welcome to the show. This is a show called In Love With The Process. I've been doing it for about three years now. We have all sorts of guests on the show, whether it's filmmakers, photographers, chefs, any, like we just did a series on, on LA firefighters, which I hope came out before this, or maybe I just released that information to you guys. <laughs> uh, but I'm really, really excited about the show. I'm excited that you guys are following us. And if you are concerned, because you look at our list on any of the podcast providers that exist out there and you're like, man, there's over a hundred shows. Where do I start? Go to inlovewiththeprocess.com. There we have it curated by topic, by uh, subject material. So like if you just want to listen to episodes from directors like today's show, it's all curated there. If you want to listen to the chef's episodes or a great place to start is our top 20 episode category. Click on that and we'll give you the best of the best. And it's a good way into the show. So like I said, go to inlovewiththeprocess.com and check it out. All right, guys, without further ado, because my guests are just about to arrive, let's get into it. So get into the fucking holiday spirit. And I know we're a couple months early and I went into Home Depot the other day and they already had fucking Christmas trees up and I want to put a bullet in my face, but get into the holiday spirit with me, right? Let's Home Depot it up. Set up those Christmas lights. <laughs> Grab yourself a glass eggnog in the middle of November. <laughs> Throw on those noise canceling headphones. Sit back and get ready for an epic episode of In Love With The Process. Hey, fellas, thanks for being on the show. I am fucking pumped to talk with you guys today. <laughs> Good to be here, Mike. Thanks, thanks for having us, brother. Um, so <clears throat> I already said it in the intro, so people have, have been caught up, but I'm just going to say this right now to you guys. This is, this is the small period of time where I'm going to just shower you with compliments, okay? <laughs> so I am a huge Mel Gibson fan. I'm like, I'm sure you guys are. Um, and just seeing him take on a role that feels like it's worth Mel Gibson again and seeing his face on that screen and seeing him perform this stuff. I was just fucking super excited. And then, uh, watching this film, it, this is going to be chalked in to my holiday collection every year in between home alone and fucking die hard. Like this movie oh, fits right there. Thank you. Way too kind, man. Thank oh man. We could, we, I mean, you can't ask that. That's perfect. Could ask for anything more, honestly. Uh, thank you. <laughs> that's incredible. 
And look, the people that listen to the show, they know that I don't give out these verbal hand jobs for free. Like this is, <laughs> this, is this is it's worth it, man. Like this movie is so much fun, and you guys nailed, nailed, nailed the tone. And it, it was like to me, it just seemed like a dangerous line of like being too dark and too intense, and then also going the other route with a, a certain other santa claus movie with another icon that i feel like is too hallmark movie and too kind of shitty so i think you guys just went right at the perfect point um and i could see i was describing it to one of my friends and i'm like it's like the coen brother it's like a if you could take a a santa movie change your opinion of who santa is and then put him in like a john ford coen brothers film that's what this is <laughs> oh man <laughs> So, uh, that, that, I'm so I'm so we're so happy that you uh, you enjoyed it, brother. No, honestly, like, and that's look, man. When we when we went out and wanted to make this, it was like let's let's have some fucking fun. You know, 2020 needs more fun, and uh, it, we're excited that people seem to be uh, getting that from the trailer right now, and hopefully the film later. Oh, dude, I I, I I guarantee you, I think I think that I think that the you know the only thing that I feel like you guys are confronting, and this is an interesting question, is that we are in the weird period, not only with COVID, but also the streaming service period and the fact that we're dealing with whether or not people feel safe to go see movies in the theater. And this movie's a fucking theater movie, in my opinion. Like, what do you guys think about all that? I mean, that would be great. And we agree. It'd be great to fucking have people in the theater pumped, you know, watching on the big screen with their friends and, and, and strangers and, and getting all that energy from the theater but then there's the flip side of me personally that's like, well, fuck, man. Last thing I want to do is have 200 people in a theater or even 75 people in a theater and someone catches something. And for some reason, you know, we brought all these people together to have a good time and a couple of them are sick or dying or I, I just couldn't even it, – it's hard to be responsible for something like that personally. So I'm glad that we're having a theatrical on the 13th for those places in the country that are open and safe enough to have it and are taking the precautions. But the other side of us is – you know, like it's amazing to have these streamers because most people have a big screen and a great sound system. Anybody that's a fan of movies and, and, and likes to share them with their friends and family has like a, a, a pretty damn decent setup at least. Um, and I think we'll enjoy the shit out of this um, in that regard. And I don't know, maybe there's something down the line where we can do some screenings after the after the maybe some maybe maybe next holiday season kind of thing i don't know we kind of <laughs> go out and actually you know go go do the go do some kind of little theatrical run with it and have some fun uh that way but i i, I honestly we're just excited that people are getting to going to get to watch it in some respect and that there is that you know sort of backup business of streamers that now it's not the backup it's the front runner but i mean it's like I'm glad that that's in place, that there's enough people getting eyes on stuff that it's that it's it's warranted having and, and people are pumped about getting new stuff that way. Yeah, I mean, to Ian's point, like so many films, you know, got kicked down the down the road a bit this year. And uh, and we're we're excited that we actually get to come out and give something to you know people to watch. Yeah, we're in a weird spot because we're a Christmas movie and it's not like we want to wait another year and a half to release the film or a year and two or three months to release the film. It's like. <laughs> We got to go now. Like we're done. It shouldn't be sitting on a shelf for a year. And I think our producers and our financiers and our distributors are like, yeah, man, like we really want to put this out. And we're like, well, let's go. Let's go. Like, like everything's pushing off. Like, I, you know, maybe we'll be able to, you know, catch some eyeballs and catch some interest because, you know, not only because of the crazy idea that it is, but because it's, it's awesome to have something out when there's not a lot of other stuff out. 
Oh, dude, hell yeah. And I think, you know, I've seen a lot of the comments from fans just on the trailer and <clears throat> alone, and you've been getting a lot of like, thank you, thank God. <laughs> thank God, <laughs> thank God there's, there's something coming out that's worth watching in 2020. <laughs> so I, you're, you're right, man. You know, like, you know, being a fellow director, it's hard getting through that, like, wanting to make films for the cinema and wanting to make films with people and have that 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 experience. But at the same token, it's like, also, I just got to get eyes on these things. And I got to, it's a great idea. It's a great story. It's a great film. So just get it the fuck out there. So I, I, I get it, dude. I get it. There's the other side of it too. Like, I mean, I can't tell you how many times we've, like, we've made a couple of films. So like, it, you know, and, and maybe they haven't garnered, you know, the, uh, you know, excitement off the trailer that this one has. <laughs> but um, we'll put the movie out and, you know, there'll be obviously, we'll, you know, there'll be a certain amount of friends. And, and this is what we're gauging by, right? Friends and family and people that know us in some regard. They get back to us and like, hey, I got to check it out at my local Cineplex. Or, hey, I was down at the Regal. Or I was down at the AMC. It was fucking awesome. I'm so glad I got that opportunity. Oh, man, so great to see you. That's so cool. You got a movie in the theater. That was awesome. But the craziest thing is like when it went to Netflix, like everybody, like when those movies go to Netflix, like everybody and their brother calls you and you're like, oh, I see. Like they didn't watch yeah. it in the theater. Now they're watching it on Netflix. Yeah, it's true. It's a whole different world. Yeah. But, for this but honestly, man, it's like I'm a fan of Netflix. I watch a ton of stuff on streaming exactly. services. Uh, yeah. It's just, it's the 21st century way here and let's I'm embracing it. Yeah, it's smart. You guys are smart. Probably smarter than me. <laughs> but it's good. It's good. Um and speaking of that, speaking of your prior films, like uh, I just hadn't heard of you guys. And I think it's just because I hadn't had that opportunity to stumble across your stuff because there's so much stuff out there and it's so hard to filter through, you know? And I think that one of the, one of the things that we don't get as much as we used to, you know, cause what am I, I'm 42 at this point. So, uh, you know, I'm a nineties kid and eighties kid. So at that time, directors were getting a lot more press per movies that were going into the cinema and so there just seemed to be a bigger press train for that sort of thing. And so this movie, immediately when I watched the trailer, and like I said, the tone was fucking spot on. And I was like, I'm going to get along with these guys immediately. <laughs> um, and wow. then uh, I went and I did the, the research on you cats. And I went and I looked back at your other movies. And I cannot fucking wait to see. I haven't seen Small Time Crime. That movie looks fucking phenomenal. And you guys got fucking Robert Forrester in that? Holy oh, shit. Man. It was an what, amazing, uh, amazing experience. I mean, they all are in their own way, but that that one, I mean, just because he recently passed slash, you know, I don't know. It was, it, there was, there was a lot of cool things about that one as well uh, that, that are near and dear to our hearts. Octavia Spencer, you know, mm -hmm. uh, came on and really helped champion that for us and help us yeah. put together. Yeah. She came out as an EP and was the first actor in. And then from there was like, where, like what are we doing? Give me a list, boys. Give me a list. Who's who's Mike Kendall? Who's Mike Kendall? We all landed on Don Hawk and went after him. It was, it was, and we've been friends with her since like oh two, so wow. um, it was an it was an amazing experience. Just kind of like saddling up and you know and hitting it hard with her. It was a lot of fun. Well, let's dig a little deeper into history because <clears throat> I'm sure, I don't know if we talked about it, but a lot of the people listening to the show are young filmmakers. A lot of the people listening to the show are getting into the business, and they're. I keep trying to tell folks uh, on the show, like, there's no fucking path. There's, like, no rhythm that you can just follow. Like, here's a checklist, do these things, and you'll have a movie made. And so the only thing that we really can do is just talk about how people have done it. Um, and so let's go back and sort of look at a little bit into your history. Like, so you guys are brothers. How did you get into creating films? Like, how did it start for you? Well, I think it started with a love of movies. 
um, it, we were, you know, we were, you know, kids and we lived in a small community, but there was a video store, you know, days of VHS and Ian and I would yeah. go down every weekend and we would get half a dozen to a dozen VHS tapes and a box of donuts and just come home and watch movies all weekend. And that, that was the weekend. That was like the perfect weekend for us. And, uh, in between, in between our parents giving us about six hours of chores to do in the blazing yeah. one. Uh-huh. We lived on a, like a, a 10 acre horse ranch and our parents yeah. were professional photographers, um, at the, for like 20 some odd years. And we would be like their backup cameraman at the weddings from like 10 years, 10 years old on the backup at the graduation backup, you know, helping with senior pictures, portraits. And so hmm. our dad would be like, you're going to be using this your whole life. We're like, we fucking hate this. We don't want to do this ever. <laughs> and then we come home from college and we're like, Hey dad, I think we're going to make some movies. He's like, I fucking knew it. I knew it. I knew you could use this all And we're like, can we use some of that equipment that you got in the garage? Uh, he's like, yeah, you know, you had a, you got a really good big kick out of that. <laughs> but that leads into our, our sort of foray of, uh, of making movies is that like we loved movies. We we're huge Clint Eastwood fans. Our mom bought the Clint Eastwood collection when we were kids. And like mm. every Clint Eastwood movie would come, like one would come every other week. So we'd get a new VHS tape and we'd wear those suckers out. I mean, everything from, the Leone Westerns to the Dirty Harrys to, you know, some of his minor Firefox. <laughs> oh, Firefox Fire is a great one. <laughs> and then the Sanction, you know, like we would watch the hell out of those. Um, and we just, we loved, we loved him. Our mom loved him. And so we got a lot of Clint Eastwood in our life, which uh, but, fans of his, obviously. But it never dawned on us to be filmmakers at that age. That wasn't, that wasn't even an option. It was like, oh, hey, like it's, it, these are made in some magical kingdom far away, you know, because our, we came up, you know, eating our Cheerios and watching Predator and, and Terminator, <laughs> you know, and it was like, okay, like, you know, you can't grasp that. It's, it's such a, it's such a, we just a, weren't amazing we were, accomplishment. And, and at that time there was nothing available. There was, but nothing that I knew of that we had our hands on that was readily in front of us. I remember seeing them later on when I was in high school, but there weren't like, there were magazines, but there wasn't anything like, I didn't know those magazines existed where you could grab a magazine, thumb through it and watch, and see how Terminator 2 was made or see how they right. were doing the effects for aliens or whatever. Um, it just didn't even occur to me that that was a magazine or that that would even be available or that that's even a job that someone does oddly, you know? Yeah, dude, um, I, guys, I am the same way, man. And a lot, I think a lot of people don't realize that prior to YouTube and prior to the uh, the internet, it just didn't exist. Like you didn't sort of associate the fact that what you were, I mean, you, you weren't a moron. It's not like you looked at it and went, you know, fucking Indiana Jones is inside this box in my living room. But when you watch <laughs> this stuff, you just like, it, you didn't associate with it. I remember the first movie that kind of blew my mind was Jurassic Park. And I'm looking at the screen going, how the fuck did they grow dinosaurs? Like it didn't, it didn't make sense to me. And it wasn't until I went, went to college and I took a film course that it just sort of clicked. And I know it seems like I was so old and I should have been able to figure this. It's like taking forever to realize that there's no such thing as a tooth fairy, but uh, it, it's what it was like back then. No, I do. We had a similar experience. Like, I mean, you watch the movie and you go, oh, I can't wait to see what comes out next. Not like, I wonder who made that or I wonder what, you know what I mean? And there's, there's like, oh, Spielberg. And you just kind of associate that with like Indiana Jones or E.T. Mm-hmm. You're, not, you're not thinking of it as a person. You're thinking of it as oddly like a brand, almost like Paramount or something, which it is mm-hmm. and it is, you know? So it's a guy and a brand. But yeah, it's 
it's an interesting, weird conundrum when you live kind of in the middle of nowhere, especially back then. Now I think it's a little different because you have a lot of access to a lot of different things. Um, but yeah, it just wasn't on our radar as far as a job or something people actually did as an occupation. Um, you can so, hear Ian's kids in the background now. So that's all good. Um, but, but when we went to college, similar as you, we went to college, I was, a, I wanted to write, I knew I wanted to write. Um, and I was, I, be, I was, was an English major and a theater minor and as, but, but Ian's also like a badass wrestler. So Ian, <laughs> and, and this is no joke. Like, like Ian's legit. He, uh, he's very, very accomplished. He got a scholarship to wrestle. And, um, anyway, cool. you know, one point it had done, you know, it's it very, very accomplished. And, uh, and I went to school for painting and drawing after trying to become a professional paintball player for many years and, and ultimately having <laughs> to hang up those spurs. Well, it was almost a choice because you were sort of, I remember you were like, oh, there's a professional team in Fresno and I think I'm going to go. And then it was like, but you know what? I got art, I got a, I got a full ride art scholarship at Kansas City Art Institute. And he was like, I think I've got to take this, this, uh, this scholarship and go, go see if, if this is what I'm meant to do. And he went to Kansas City for like a year and while he was there, you know, uh, I, I think, I think, like he, end, you ended up leaving after a year. Uh, he got he got two AA A degrees, and then decided he was going to try, you know, Kansas City Art Institute. And he and what, t- tell us about your experience there, Ash. What really was the? Because you went there for a year, but, and then you're like this really isn't for me. And so I, you know, look, I have a, you know, I discovered art, uh, a passion for painting and drawing in junior college. Mm-hmm. And it was just like a, literally like this epiphany moment, like, oh, hey, I can actually do this. And it's crazy because I had always doodled around, but I had, I, I had this he like, always an excellent artist. Like he would draw things just off the cuff and people were like, holy shit, you just drew that right <laughs> now. And you're like, yeah, yeah. Now he's a professional. St- he's, when we came down to LA, he became a fresh professional storyboard artist. So, I mean, that's how good he is. It's like, he's like, ah, uh, yeah, that makes a lot of fucking sense, man. I, I also was in a very similar, I want to be a comic book artist. Yeah. yeah. So I got rejected from art school and I was like, well, fuck you guys. But uh, ended up uh, using all those skills to storyboard my shit myself. And I can yeah. tell when I look at your movie and I watch your movie that that is in there, man. That, that makes a lot of fucking sense. Yeah, there's a lot of planning it, that goes off of uh, onto Esh's shoulders because he can draw. <laughs> but I just yeah, think, man. like, look, man, you're, the, the skills that you accumulate in life, you know, they, they steer you in a direction. And Ian and I were, were blessed to have a parents who were photographers. You know his abs- You know dedication to writing and literature, and then I went to art school and, and learned. You know, and had the ability to draw, and so we sort of coalesced to to make this this team that we you know this duo that we go out and make movies together. And it yeah, and seems was, like that was. And we were well, we were we were big fans of movies, but there was one night where I was in, I was at college wrestling and finishing up my degree, and Esh was at Kansas City dabbling in the in the in the in the art in the art college and then he he calls me one night and he goes or one morning and he goes hey i was up till like 4 a.m watching these two movies and i was like i was up till 4 a.m watching two movies and i and we were both like really jonesing to talk to each other and and uh he was like i kind of had this kind of paradigm shift where i think i'm gonna move i want to make movies and i was like i had the same feeling I was like, <laughs> and unbeknownst we were sitting in two different states watching the same movies at the same time and had the same exact moment of realization that like, and it was weird because we were talking about the films in the same way. We were like, did you see this and how you could do that? And it was, it was Barfly, and it was the real blonde and they were on back to back on like an IFC up all night or something. And it was the first time we'd ever really watched movies. And this is what we were talking about on the call that, that 
that that you could see how they were being made. You know what I mean? Mm. You could see yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's this is how they did it, or or you know, it was it, you could you could it was limited locations, limited um, you know uh, cast, and you could see how it was being made. You could see that uh, oh oh they used this. It, it was it wasn't like watching Predators where or Aliens <laughs> where you're on a planet or on a spaceship and you're like how the fuck did it's true. It's yeah. It's like we could take some friends and like walk down the bowling alley and redo the Big Lebowski scenes, and that's what we <laughs> literally started doing. Yeah. All right, you know the deal. This is the moment that uh, we take to give thanks to show a little love to the men and women that help support the show. Now, I'm not just talking about you guys that are listening to the show. I'm not just talking about you newcomers. Those of you who like this show and want to support the show, the easiest way to do so is to sign up for an Audible free trial. Now, if you haven't done so already, that's important because I know you guys listen to a lot of different podcasts and I know all the podcasts do the Audible trial thing. And honestly, let me give you a little insider on that. It's because we it's the easiest way for us to make money on the show and it doesn't cost you a dime. If you sign up for the Audible trial, there's a link below. I think it's audibletrial.com backslash in love with the process. I think that's what it is. Link below the episode. Click on that link. Sign up for 30 days for free. What you get is you get a free audiobook. You get access to all their content. And I didn't realize this because I am an Audible member. I didn't realize that they also have like free podcasts on there and they have free series. Like there's a whole alien series that's up there for free, which is really cool. So there's lots to listen to, lots to lots of ways to waste your fucking time. <laughs> but I've been using it lately to uh, brush up on a lot of new techniques. And I don't necessarily have time to sit down to read a book because I cram my day with so much stuff that by the time I, I climb into bed and I start reading four or five pages of a book, I fall asleep. And then, I don't know if you guys deal with the same thing, then you're picking up again, you have to go back three pages and you're like, fuck it, when did I leave off? It drives me crazy. So what I've been doing lately is I've been listening to Audible and I'll have Audible on when I'm uh, doing like renders or if I'm doing storyboards or if I'm working on something that doesn't require too much thought. Um, and so I'll be running through these books. And lately I've been listening to acting techniques. I've been listening to story and structure techniques. Uh, obviously I've been reading or listening to the Save the Cat series, um, the Meisner technique on acting. All these books are on Audible. They're a great place to go to learn, to fill your time. And if you're working out or if you're riding bikes like me and Gina are these days, um, it's a great time to do it. So go check it out. You can find the link below the episode. Sign up for 30 days. Uh, if you want to continue after 30 days, because you will, then feel free. But if you are like, look, I can't afford this right now. I got to cancel. Not a big deal. We still get paid. Is the best way to give us money without costing you anything. So like I said, sign up. Link's below. Excuse me. Also, big shout out to the uh, dudes and ladies over at... Puget Systems. Now, if you've been listening to the show, they've been with us since the beginning. And there's a reason for that. These guys give a shit. These guys give a shit about uh, artists. They support artists. They make equipment that supports what we do. We're not beholden to their marketing schemes. We're not beholden to the cult. 
that is their computer building company. Like so many other companies that are out there, like the big company that's out there, the one that we're consistently in debt to, right? Puget Systems builds affordable PCs and fast, beefy edit systems. I have been cutting all of my stuff. I cut 12KM, I cut who's there, I cut all the music videos, all the stuff that I do on a Puget system. And I know sometimes people are like, oh, but PCs, Oof, I don't know how to use a PC. Like, how do you use it? It's, it's all the same shit, guys. They're folder-based operating systems, right? There's like a start menu and you click on it, you double click on the icon and it starts up a, like Adobe. And then the creative suite looks and acts the same way on both systems. And I know that there are those of you who drank the Kool-Aid and that are like, yeah, but all the keyboard shortcuts are important. Fuck you. I literally got a pretty badass keyboard from this company, Logitech Keyboard, who used to sponsor the show. Um, and on my keyboard, it has all the shortcuts on the keyboard itself. So I don't have to, you don't have to be part of like a fucking little cultish group where you go on the forums. Remember those Top Cow forums? You'd go on there and you'd try to figure out why your shit wouldn't fucking render or what crazy fucking folder the autosave went into. And you'd have to deal with the people on those forums that would just like push their glasses up and go, well, you don't know how to fucking do this. I hated that. Remember? Especially if you're using a Mac or an Apple because there's a lot of shit that happens on those things that they don't talk about. Like I've had more crashes on my Mac than I've had on my PC, by the way. But then the whole reason why Macs run more efficiently and never crash is because they don't give you access to the stuff that you need to get access to that could potentially fuck up the system. You ever notice how you have to go through the process of like showing hidden folders and finding like these hidden spaces? It's like, where the fuck did that goddamn save file for this color correction program go? It went into this weird folder and I can't find the fucking folder anywhere. And then you have to log in and like look through the forums and deal with the fucking like gated community of nerds that are just like, you don't know what I know. It's like, fuck off. PCs aren't like that. One of the things that I love about PCs is that if you can't figure it out, there are a hundred people out there that are willing to tell you and they're happy to tell you about it, whether through its tutorials or through fucking groups. It isn't a cult group, which I love about PCs, at least on the fucking hacker side of PCs. But when you're putting together and you're looking for an edit system, you want it to come out of a box. You don't want to build it. Maybe you do want to build it, but most of us don't. Most of us just are like, look, I got this project that my old computer isn't working fast enough. Let me, let me throw a bunch of cash at this thing and have it shipped to my house and I'll open it up and I'll get it going, right? That's what we want. And that's what I found with Puget Systems because I didn't want to build our PCs for my old company because I didn't want to be tech support for all the editors. And I needed to find a company that had what AppleCare claims to have. I needed to have a good backbone of support. And what Puget Systems has is, a, a, believe it or not, like a living, breathing fucking person that answers the phone. How crazy is that? People that actually answer your emails and know you by name. The customer support there is just outstanding. So if you're looking to build a new computer, Go to PugetSystems.com. There you can choose a baseline system based upon the software you use. And that's just a, that's a starting point. These guys want to build custom systems. They want to hear from you. They want to hear what it is that you need them for, how much money you have to spend, and they will help you build the machine that fucking kills. That kills. 
I love that uh, I'm doing my reads and Gina's also. So one of the best parts about COVID is that we don't have our own offices at this point. And she, the poor thing has been busting her fucking ass. She's been producing so much material. I don't know if you guys have seen it yet. If you haven't, go to Gisela.com, check her out on Instagram, check out her Gisela account, or go to my Instagram at Mike Petchy, and then I'll send you over to Gina's stuff. The shit that she has been doing is insane. I have to get her on the show, guys, because the level at which she has progressed, I'm like whispering so she can't hear me. The level at which she has progressed over the past five fucking months, her goddamn photo was on a billboard in Times Square. Her shit is on MTV. MTV just did an Instagram post about how much they love B. Miller. And they have been posting all the Gina stuff. It's insane. I couldn't be prouder of her. It's the hottest thing in the world. Having a girlfriend that's fucking murdering this stuff. Anyway, um, so go check them out. <laughs> go check out PewDieSystems.com. Also, supporting the show, our good buddies over at Quasar Science. I am about to go do a shoot this week with a bunch of Quasar tubes. One of the coolest advancements in the movie industry over the past five, 10 years has been not the cameras, right? Because we hit a plateau with the cameras where it was like, remember when the red came out? Everybody was like, it's going to change the fucking world. And then Aerie came out and went, nah, we're going to do it better. And so there was a whole period of time on like people chasing megapixels and people chasing all that kind of shit. And it just got boring, right? Like, who the fuck cares? It's 8K. I don't care. Why does it? Why do I want to shoot 8K right now? Most of my stuff is being fucking screened on a goddamn iPhone, which is 1920 by 1080. Why do I want fucking 8K? Right? I mean, there was a point in time where you would go to NAB if you did, and it would just plateau out, which is just like, I got it, this new camera. Who gives a fuck? Then came LED tech. LED lighting technology, and the big change with it was that they, they figured out a way to create true bicolor units that were a lot more reliable right and so now you have the ability to have true uh tungsten uh true daylight balanced led lights that put out a lot of power and they don't require a lot of power to do so that's a game changer and then they started to release the rainbow led units where you can start to dial in gel colors you can start to dial in these specific colors like there are certain apps for certain lights that you can just take pictures of a color and it will dial it into your led units there are amazing units out there and there's a few companies that do them really well one of our favorites are the dudes from quasar science and if you talk to anybody if you're putting together a shoot you call up your gaffer and he's like you want to bring your kit what's in your kit and you're like i have some quasar tubes he's like oh okay yeah yeah we can use them because everybody use them they're reliable they're great they're perfect. So go to quasarscience.com and see what it is that I'm talking about. And those guys do a really funny puppet show on their website. It's kind of like the Muppets meets film nerds, film set guys, film crew dudes. So go to Quasar Science and check it all out. Um, other than that, um, let's see, what else can I talk about? Obviously, like I said at the beginning of the episode, go to inlovewiththeprocess.com. There you will find all of the episodes for our podcast curated by subject material. So like if you uh, look at the list of uh, episodes, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fucking pat myself on the back right now. Both Liam and I have done over 100 episodes. That's insane. And most episodes clock in at like two hours. 
we've done over a hundred episodes. We did a hundred legitimate like show episodes, but with all of the mini episodes and the special episodes that we've done, it's like 140 fucking episodes. Fucking blows my mind. And I know if you're a new listener and you're looking at that list on Apple Podcast, you're scrolling through it, you're just like, man, where do I, do I go all the way back to the beginning? Which, you know what, you probably should, because you'll see the evolution of what the show has become. But I get it. You want to get to some of the cool shit first? Go to unloadtheprocess.com. There you will find our top 20 episodes. And those are rated from the fans and from myself. So my favorite episodes and the fans episodes are up there. It's a good way to get into the show. It's a good way to start. And I think you guys are going to want to stick around. And if you like it, review for us. Leave a review. So you can uh, click a link below in the description to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And every review you leave, I don't care if you do it per episode. I think it's better if you do it per episode. Leave me a review for this show. What do you think about this episode? Throw it up there. Because every time you leave a review, it just slides up a little bit high or in that fucking like Terminator 2 algorithm that runs our life. (laughs) So it'll help other eyes get on the show. So go leave reviews. All right? Man. Let's get back to an awesome conversation with the Nels Brothers. So here's what's interesting, too, is that, you know, earlier in my career, when I started doing music videos, I would co-direct. I I was co-directing with, uh, at the time, my business partner, and it in the beginning, it kind of worked, but then it sort of hit this point where it really wasn't working. And so I understand the 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 communication and the unspoken communication and also the, the shared love that is needed to be co-directors for stuff. And oftentimes you only see it working when it's brothers uh, because of that family history. Do you guys find that co-directing was something comfortable for you to fall into or like how did that work out for you guys? Obviously Man. well, but... You know, I think it's it, it it stems from our upbringing. We grew up in a a rural community. Our parents love nature. They love to be uh, away from people, and uh, it was either get along or be really fucking lonely out there. And um, <laughs> so Ian and I, you know, we 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 get along. We get along really well. And I think we're able to make art together because we our our, our tastes coalesced through those many many movie weekends. Um, where we, we synthesized our taste and we've kind of have a very similar sensibilities in that respect. How does it work out? Cause as you guys know, from the years of experience that you've had at this point, being a director is like the most insane, you know, having to answer a hundred fucking thousand questions at any moment and also pivot and change views and ideas at, at, at a whim. Are you guys like attached to the hip or you got, do you guys break up duties? Like how do you, how do you make that work? Well, we, we have a joke, a running joke that uh, we, 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 everyone says, how do you guys do it together? And we say, well, now we do it holding hands. That's the easiest way to do it. But it, it literally feels like that now. It's literally like, like I, think, I, I think we both recognize that we each have specific skills or strengths, I guess you would say. And I mean, we fucking lean on each other for them. So it's like, mm. and I think there was a book. What book were we reading? But there was a book that was like, I, I can't remember. I think we, we both passed it around, but it was a book that kind of said, Hey, if you're, you know, if, if, if you're really good at something and 
like you should lean into that and like really start to try to develop that rather than like worrying about, Oh, Hey, like I, because there's always that inkling in the back of your head, right? And this doesn't mean don't try to get better at certain things, but if you have a skill, you should try to run with it in a certain regard. And I like Esh has an amazing visual sense. Um, and I probably grind a little harder on the writing than he does at times. And so it was Mm -hmm. more like, you know what? I'm gonna be I'm gonna be really good at grinding on the writing, and I'm gonna try to understand the visuals a lot more through his eyes and through his help and through with working with our DP and the other folks that we have that are that are putting the visuals together. But my focus is always this is this is what I'm really good at. I'm really good at grinding out the writing. We'll sit and talk out an idea, and I'll have it down on paper within an hour. You know what I mean? And then he'll mm-hmm. take his pass on it. Then I'll make my pass on it. Ash does the same thing. He'll take an idea and he'll put it down, and then. I'll do my pass on it in reverse, but I probably do it more than he does. And then it's exactly the reverse in the visual sense in that he'll board it out. We'll talk it all out. We'll write it all out. And then he'll board it out and be like, hey, what do you think of this? And I'll look at it and be like, I'll have maybe a suggestion or two. But for the most part, this is what he does. This is what his strength is. And if I don't have a better idea, I lean on him and I say, great, this looks fucking great. Or, you know, and, and it's, it, it's worked really well for us because I think that when there is – there's not necessarily a division on set because we've done all the prep work. So yeah. by the time we get to set, we we've seen it once when we write it, we see it again when he, when he boards it and it's pretty much, and things change as you write it, as you board, but we're pretty in sync by the time. Cause we do that, you know, right next to each other. So we're really in sync when we hit set and it's, it's micro adjustments or sometimes massive adjustments, right? If you get there and your location falls mm-hmm. through, your actor's like, well, why don't I jump off a cliff instead of sit in the sofa? And you're like, okay, shit, let's figure that out. That's an interesting idea. <laughs> or you got to talk them down and you're like, well, hey, maybe we should try the sofa bit first, then we'll jump off the cliff, you know? But but yeah, yeah. It, it's it's always it's always collaboration, which is fun and exciting and, and new shit's being thrown at you. But for the most part, we have a really good blueprint of what we what we both understand the movie is when we hit set. And Smart. you know, we've been tested. We have, we have uh, some director or some actors come up to us, and they'll ask one of us a question on the sly, and then sneak away and ask the other one the question. And you know, we've they've gotten the same answer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, it, look, it makes a lot of sense. I've, I've said this on the show a bunch. Like, <clears throat> I think, I think that uh, we as directors get a, a, a way too much credit. And I, I think there hits a point often where, you know, people like, he's a fucking genius or this guy's an artist. Like, at the end of the day, what you're trying to do is manage the unmanageable. There's so many variables when it comes to, to making a movie. And there's so many variables, whether you're dealing with your crew or your cast or even just trying to take what is essentially a smaller version of your original idea and still get the same thing across whenever you get your budget, whenever you get the, the green light to do it. And so... It 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 must be really comforting to know that you can lean on each other, and each other's strengths, and understand that there's a blood bond. Like th- there hits a point with me where I think the only way I would ever co-direct again is if I had a blood bond with somebody. You know what I mean? Where you just have those years and years and years of trust and and humble interactions. Because at the end of the day, you're dealing with egos. You're dealing with all sorts of shit. You know what I mean? So uh, it's it's nice to hear that you guys fucking want to work like that. I mean, the two things I think that, like you said, that the, I mean, it's literally, that's what it, I think that that's the biggest strength, right? Is you have such a shorthand with that other person. Like Esh and I are referencing all the same movies in all the same way because we sat next to each other 
from five years old up watching all the same movies and immediately commiserating or comment, like commenting on those movies or talking about them, what we liked and what we didn't like about them. And we have a very good sense of what the other one likes. And that doesn't mean we're always on, you know, the same wavelength, but that leads into the second part of it in that when one of our bullshit meters goes off, (laughs) like I trust him and I go, I I'm off. I'm, I'm fucking off. If we're both not in sync on something, it gets rewritten or it gets reworked or same with his boards or something he wrote. He'll pass it to me and I'll be like, ah, this line doesn't feel right to me. And then we'll literally sit there because we believe in each other so much or trust each other so much. We'll sit there and be like, why doesn't he like it? Hmm. Okay. Well, why don't you like it? You know? And like, what, so what can we do? Here's what I was trying to do. And, mm-hmm. and for yeah. when you're working with other people, there's such there's such layers to get through to get to that level of trust to be able yeah. to just be deadly honest and say, that doesn't work for me. He doesn't have an egotistical reaction of like, well, fuck you. You don't respect my work or you, you know, it's instantly like, or he doesn't feel bad instantly. He's instantly like, okay, how do we make it better? And I do the yeah. same thing. He says that, that fucking description you just put down to that line or that character isn't leaning in the right direction. I'm like, oh fuck. Okay. Well, what do we need to do to get him in the leaning in the right direction so that both of us, so both of our tastes are in sync because if if it's going off, I'm, I've probably made a misstep, you know? Well, there's also the part where it's like, hey, well, I don't get this. And then you're like, well, if it's like this and it's yeah. under that, you're like, oh, well, if it's like that, like, okay, yeah, that's not a fucking and that's work, when, you know? And that's, and that's when most of our – that's how most of our disagreements are, are, are finalized. It's literally like one of us writes a line and I'm like, I don't like that line. Or he's like, I don't like that line. And then we act it out for the other person and say – well, think of it like this. If you just says that, blah, blah, blah. and you're like, oh shit, that could be cool. You know, <laughs> like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like that's, that's you, like, whoever most passionate about it, if it goes that way, usually wins out if there's a big disagreement. Well, that's the big, that's the big curse, right? Of doing this stuff where you see something in your head or I'll see something in my head and go, oh yeah, this is like this and this is going to be fucking rad. And then visually, paint it out in my mind and go like they're gonna fucking love this and this and this and this and then the big issue with like uh trying to um take an idea that is just a description of something and hand it to someone else is that it gets put through their own filtration Mm -hmm. so it goes into their mind and they're like well the last time i heard that line was right before that guy punched me in the face when i was a fucking kid so fuck that line i don't like that line and you're just like no 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 no. drop drop all your preconceived notions of this line and let me try to explain to you how i'm going to do it and you guys having that that experience and growing up together uh you get to get you get to skip that bullshit step which is really nice well, I remember uh, one time. I, remember, I mean, this happens in every movie, but I remember on uh, one. I just, just this one just comes to mind. But on an earlier movie of ours, like our third movie, Lost on Purpose, I remember there was this line that I was I was hung up on, and I was like, ah, fuck, like this doesn't feel right. And she goes, "It's right, trust me." And I went, "All right, you got you. You believe in it that much? We're gonna leave it in." And I'll be damned if every time or every other time we didn't screen the movie. Someone, because we, we do these like five to 10 people screenings as, mm-hmm. as, we're, as we're doing our edits. Smart. And I, I swear every time or every other time they would comment on that fucking line and say how much it meant to them and how great it was and how much context it gave them for this other part of the film. And I'm like, I, don't, I still think we could cut that fucking line. <laughs> <laughs> but you can see that like he had a vision for it. And, and I mean, luckily – I was smart enough to trust him on it and give into it because 
he saw it. He knew what it was linking to. He knew what it was, how it was going to make him feel and other like people like him feel, which was most people. And I just wasn't tapping into it for some reason. And, and it worked yeah. and you gotta, yeah. you gotta have somebody you can trust that much. I mean, Ian and I always respond to passion, man. I mean, I remember like we, we had a group of collaborators that we, cause we started when we moved to LA, we worked at like, at, I worked at Arclight Hollywood and Ian worked at Tony Romas and you're surrounded by a bunch of filmmakers. And we went out and we did uh, an, a, you know, a make a movie in 24 hour contest. Mm-hmm. And I remember uh, a really, really talented uh, screenwriter friend of ours um, came back and he, and he handed us the, the script and we were like, Oh, I don't know. This might be, and it was wild shit. Say the man's name, Jeremy Catalina, yeah. very yeah. good friend of ours, uh, writer. <laughs> but go ahead. This is such a funny story. And, and, and we were, I remember sitting in the diner in Nell's, right? The, all of us, because we had like, there was like a, a posse of all of us, like five, you know, five, uh, you know, kids from, you know, we didn't go to film school, but, you know, some kids from you from film school and everybody was there and we we're all young and hungry and ready to make movies. And, mm-hmm. and Jeremy comes back with the script and we read it and we're all, oh, I don't know, like, this is pretty, you know, pretty aggressive. And I think we might need to, it was hard to soften this a little bit. And I remember Jeremy <laughs> just looked at us and he goes, what the fuck guys, what are we here to do if we're not going to go hard, man? Like, you know, <laughs> fucking believe in this material. And, and honestly, he's like, I, you know, like it, goes, it, it just, the, the line that got me was when he goes, especially from you two, like <laughs> you guys are like the most like, fuck you, passionate people trying to take chances, trying to be bold. Like, you know, you're, you're in your twenties and you're like, we're going to fucking take over the world. And everybody around you's got that attitude. And it feeds everybody. And he's like, especially from you two. And then we were just like, we looked at literally looked at each other, and within five seconds, he had turned us around, and we're like, "You're right, you're right. This guy is great. We have to do his script as written. Yeah. He's fucking deadly passionate about it, and he's right. We're chicken shitting out by trying to cut some of this more edgy shit out. Like, what are we yeah. talking about? Fuck you. We're in your yeah. face. You know, like, yes, let's do it. And yeah. honestly, like, it paid off, man. We like got in, we qualified, we got to fly to New York to do the contest. I mean, it was it was fucking great. And uh, honestly, like, you have to have you. Go ahead. You're going to say the same thing I was because the content was was ripe, you know, because it was edgy and crazy and fun. Yeah, yeah. And that was a great yeah. lesson for us, honestly. Like, you know, go hard every time. Like, don't put don't 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 safety up. You know, it did. It took a while. For, well, I mean, it, it's funny because it's kind of the same thing with me, where I got into it initially, and I'm like, I'm going to make shit that I fucking love, and so then that's what you start to do, and then. I think the transition for me was when I started to do commercials and you get into the fucking commercial world. And so then you're putting like all your love and your your passion into treatments and you're putting your passion into shit that's essentially going out to help some asshole sell a warehouse full of fucking shit. So like <laughs> you're, you're, you're putting your passion into this stuff and then you start losing gigs and you're not getting jobs, you're not getting hired for it. And then you start dealing with your reps, you start dealing with those folks and they're like, well, do you think that maybe, maybe if you had thought about putting this and that, then that would have fucking da 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 And you're sitting there going like, that's not what I fucking do though, man. And then you start to curb it and there were years where I was like, well, maybe I just got to play the game here. And so I start doing that shit. And it wasn't until I, like, I hit a point where I go, well, this doesn't do shit for me. Like, yeah. I'm not advancing. I don't feel like I'm developing what, what is in my inner voice. And it, it took me a minute to just go, well, fuck you and fuck all of you. I'm just going to do what the fuck I want. And then once you do that, then you're back on the radar again. And people are like, I like this. I like what you're doing. I like what you're making. So it's it's really important to remember that and we talked a little bit about this before we started. It's it's a long game. It's like a long fucking game. 
Yeah, it, we have you, had a couple of moments like that, and I think you have to just—it'll hit you like, like we've been off writing for like two years and not making anything, or three years mm-hmm. not making anything, and 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 trying to get writing gigs and doing this and that, and it and it, it you get you get at times you're like so far outside of what you would have been doing that you're not even passionate about the stuff that you're out pitching on. It's just, it would be a good payday and be awesome to get that credit and actually have a real movie up or whatever. And with your name on the writing credits or whatever. And you're just kind of like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, I don't even want to do this fucking project. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck this. And like, like, and then you kind of reset yourself and you're like, I'd rather work at fucking Tony Roma's for tips and fucking make, (laughs) A $5,000 movie in the fucking streets than do this. And that's what you end up doing. And that's the thing that everyone goes, this is awesome. You know? Yeah. Because it's that pa- – I mean, you guys are pa- – you can tell I'm passionate. You guys are passionate. Yeah. You can feel it. And, like, let's bring this – let's let's get to the fucking meat of this episode, fellas. And let's, <laughs> let's get to – let's get to Fat Man. And we're going we're gonna to transition into this right now. And I'm not going to spoil anything for you guys listening, but we're going to reference some things. So maybe we'll say that there's a spoiler alert on this, uh, but I'm going to, I don't want to ruin this experience for any of you guys watching this movie. I want you to have the same experience I did. Um, That being said, this movie is oozing with fucking love of cinema. This movie is oozing with passion and um, fucking Mel Gibson. Like how the fuck did that happen? How did you get him on this film? That's that's a great. I mean, honestly. So when we went to go see a screening of Hacksaw Ridge, well, I think it's first important to, to say, but we we've been working on this story and this script for a long time. I mean, this has been over a decade journey to get it to the screen. Yeah, um, crazy. And and every year we never gave up on it. Like we would go into meetings and they're like, "Wow, this is fucking crazy!" Like someone's gonna make this, but you know, Someday. you know. We got one day, like, but this is, you know, bananas. And I think people just wanted to make, sh- like, just wanted to meet the psychopaths that had crafted this story, you know, like to come in and just say, like, <laughs> you know, like, so we would, we would come in and they would be like, yeah, you know, and so it had been a project that we had been trying to work up to for over a decade. And I know that like small town crime was the movie that got us uh, tonally in the right ballpark to where that conversation moved forward to us actually being able to realize the movie. Mm-hmm. But but as far as Gibson, Ian and I had gone to see a screening of Hacksaw Ridge and there was a Q&A with Mel afterwards. Mm-hmm. And so we're sitting there, we watch the movie and then Mel comes on and he has this beautiful, fair, like full beard. And he's very he's, – he's in the – you know, he's after the film. He's carrying the burden of, 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 the, of the media, you know, junkets and all that stuff. So he's sitting up there very like – sort of brooding and a lot of burden on his shoulders, answering questions, you know? And it was just like, we turned to each other and we're like, that's, that's the fucking guy. Like that feels like our Chris. And, uh, and that's what put it, put him in our mind. And, and honestly, we, we've pursued him tenaciously ever since that moment. Dude. So cool. I, I'll be honest with you. I got parts for him that I want fucking dark. And like when I watch him on this screen, I feel the same way. There's a section without giving anything away. There's a part in this movie where he he literally acts with one eye, <laughs> you watch him acting with one eye on screen, and you're just like, this guy's a fucking legend. <laughs> he can do anything. I mean, um, both- I mean, dude, you can only imagine. Um, so then, like, once we get that the idea of Mel, and now we got to go actually like get it to him and have him read it and then go through all that and and. Um, and so we had, we had submitted it through his agent 
with the help of, uh, and, and now you're just waiting, right? So you're like, okay, well, is he going to respond? I don't know. And Ian, you take over from here, man, because this was kind of a, like a surreal moment. So I get this, so I get this, uh, I get this email and it's, he's got this, the email has this handle, which is not a name. It's just like a, a moniker. And it says, Hey, really love the script. Uh, let's sit down for a chin wag. Um, <laughs> and, there were, I, and that was kind of it. Right. And I'm like, and we, at this point were we were going out with the script to like producers and, you know, like financiers and we were trying to get this thing going. So, and we, we had been getting a lot of feedback of like people saying, Hey, we love the script. Let's talk or whatever, you know? So mm-hmm. I thought it was another email like that. So I was like, well, I wonder who this is. Is this, you know, someone over at, uh, Paramount. I don't fucking know. <laughs> Whatever comp- company, yeah. <laughs> Over at a production company that we sent it to. So I'm like, I'm sure we'll hopefully we'll get another meeting and be able to talk about it and get it going or do some financing. But so I write the person back and I'm like, hey, thanks. I'm so glad you dug it. Like that's awesome. You know, yes, please. Let's let's sit down. By the way, who is this? You know, <laughs> I don't know who this is. <laughs> and then the another email pops up like ten minutes later. I was like, oh yeah, sorry. Sometimes I freaking to sign off. This is Mel, and I was like. Holy shit! <laughs> oh my god, he read it now. She loves it. Oh my god. So, and it was like, hey, let's sit down for a chin wag. Fuck yes, please. Uh, so, whatever that is, we'll figure it out. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, our agent called his agent was like, hey, I heard, you know, whatever. Let's do it. Let's set these guys up. This is awesome. They're pumped. And so we sat down with him. Uh, and what, what should have been like, you know, a 45 minute, you know, conversation turned into fucking three hours, over three hours. Um, and we're just talking about the script and we're talking about, you know, other films, his films. And it was, it was, it was fucking surreal and awesome. And we're just like, holy fuck, are we really going to get to make this movie with this guy? Like, this is fucking nuts. We've been pining over making this movie with him for years. Like, are we going to actually get to fucking make this thing with him? Cause like you said, Mike, like. A lot of times you get to a certain point and shit happens. Like the fucking yeah. tsunami hits and for whatever reason, it doesn't work out timing-wise with whatever pieces you had. Yeah. We, everyone's had things fall apart So at some level. And so you're just like, fuck, is this really going to happen? This is too goddamn exciting for it to fall apart. Like this has to fucking happen. So we just start, you know – ramping it up in every direction that we can and uh, you know having mel attached to it like got us got us you know in a lot more rooms as you can imagine with that sure. package and it was just like wow this is fucking exciting this could be really fucking awesome and from there we just built the film out you know yeah Dude, well, jesus christ because not only are you getting like the history right so when you get mel you're getting all his history you're getting fucking mad max you're getting fucking martin riggs you're getting all that history uh, behind your film at that point, but then he's also an Academy Award-winning fucking director. What was it like? Were you guys intimidated by that? What was it like working with him on set? I'll say that well, you- I'll, say, I'll say initially it was a wonderful fucking experience, and I can't wait to talk about it. But initially, when we got it, we it was intimidating, yes, but it wasn't like we're fucking stricken with fear because we'd literally just come off a movie with like. A, a, Oscar winner Octavia Spencer, fuck it, you know, like John Hawks, mm-hmm. fucking one of our favorite actors. Like we'd work, we we just worked with a lot of like names and faces that we were really excited to work with. So even though you know it was a new foray working with a fucking you know one of the best directors alive, 
Mm-hmm. That was new new to us, and we weren't quite sure how that was going to work, or how much input he was going to have, or whatever, what kind of a collaborator he was going to be be like. It was fucking amazing. He was fucking great, man. I mean, we yeah, we were on. we were excited and scared all at the same time. Yeah, but we we <laughs> yeah. came on with with you know knowing that we needed to make this our movie, um, and then he he couldn't have been you know better at supporting and aiding and helping us in every direction possible. And just to make it the best movie on you know that we could make, um, yeah, dude, see, look, I hear this. So whenever I hear about filmmakers that are working with him currently, like 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 modern day Mel, everybody's like, he's so fucking amazing. He's so gracious on set. He's so he's so willing to go the extra mile to make the film work. Um, and then you know you hear through the industry, you know what I mean. You hear through producers and people in the industry where it's just like, you know, Mel's crazy, and you have to deal with Mel on set, like. I, I, I just don't believe that. I feel like when the, hearing you guys talk about him and hearing other filmmakers talk about him, he sounds like he's a fucking awesome guy to work with, right? I mean, yeah. honestly, we look, man, we did our research. Like, we asked people, you know, we were like, hey, we're, we're, you know, we're really like Mel for this idea. And they're like, you know, let's talk to people that have worked with him. And across the board, honestly, we got like nothing but great reviews. They're like, do it. And so we're like, okay, awesome. Like, let's, let's get, let's, let's jump in. Let's make this happen. And wow. our experience on set, like I can't even begin to to tell you. I mean, he would be out there negative thirty degrees. Everyone, Ian and I are dressed like we're going to go summit Everest, you know. <laughs> and he's in his costume, you know. He's he's there's a little gun play, so he's got fingerless gloves, you know. He wanted to be able to to articulate the weapons, uh-huh. and he's out there in solidarity with the crew, negative thirty six degrees. He's he's done. Like, hey, Mel, you can go back get in the warming tank. He's like, no, no, I'm good. I'm just gonna I'm gonna hang out with you guys. Drinking yeah, his tea. So cool. He wouldn't leave the set. And we would like turn around and see him and like, shit, Mel, are you like we cut you? You know that, right? Shit. Hopefully you're not just hanging. He's like, no, no, I want to be here. I like I I like I'd rather be on set. You guys are out here in this fucking shit, negative 30 degrees. I'm gonna be out here in it. And it just added such an amazing, surreal amount of everyone just like because it was it was fucking it was horrible conditions. It really was. You take your gloves off for longer than eight minutes and you have fr- irreversible frostbite. Like you could lose where, where did you guys film? Where were you filming? Ottawa, Canada. Okay, okay. <laughs> we, we, we're chasing the snow, babe. Yeah. <laughs> so, and yeah, he, yeah. he had no he had no fingers on his gloves. I mean, it was just he was just like fuck it, you know. He would, and he would stand out there with us. Everyone's freezing their ass off. He's freezing his ass off, and he would just tough it out and refuse to go into the warming tent. Like he was always out there with us, whether he was shooting or not. Just standing right there, you know, watching the monitors, fucking talking to people, like. And it wasn't a watchdog thing. He's literally just hanging out, having a good time on set, jamming with anybody and everybody that, you know, you could think of, like the sound guy, the fucking PA, you know, the camera guys. He's just jamming. He loves being on set. He loves making movies. Dude, it, yeah, sounds like it, a fucking, it sounds like a dream come true is what that sounds like, fellas. That sounds so awesome. I can't even begin, man. He'd be sitting there telling us like, oh, well, on uh, on Braveheart, like I double printed a couple of the frames to get like emphasize some of the gore and stuff. We're like, fuck, yeah, we double printed shit in this one. We're like, that's a great fucking idea. Like, we took, yes, we took as many little ideas as he as he would as he would as we could mine out of him. We were constantly pumping him, talking about, well, on Mad Max, well, on Apocalypto, well, on <laughs> Hawksaw Ridge, on Braveheart. How'd you do this? You know, like we were going through as much shit on lethal weapons. Like what was it like? You know? Um, yeah, it was, it was fucking great, man. We had a great experience with him and it was, you know, there's times where he'd walk up and we'd be discussing a shot with our DP or whatever. And he, he just meander up and like ask us a question or, you know, 
give us a thought on something. And it, and it was, it was always very much take it or leave it or whatever the fuck you guys want to do. This is your movie. I'm with you. Like, let's go. I want to, I want to make this movie. I want to make your movie. Uh, mm-hmm. it's fucking amazing. Even in, even in post, like we finished the film and we, you know, our sort of quote unquote director's cut. And we said, Hey, you know, we think it's pretty close. If not there, we'd love to have you take a look at it and give us your thoughts. And he was like, all right, boys, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm super stoked. I'm ready to go with how it is. But and he's like, so, and he's like, and, and I, I love it. I, I'm, I'm really proud of us. And I'm, I'm fucking excited about it. Let's go. And we were like, Hey, well, do you have any thoughts? You know, like, he's like, well, yes. <laughs> he's like, well, let me call you. He said, let me call you back. Yeah. And so he called us back two days, two days later. And he said, okay, I've watched it three times. And here's some thoughts I have. Wow. He literally went frame by frame, minute by minute, and just said, here's what I'm going to do here. Here's what I'm going to do here. And he said, you know what? Like, would you guys mind if I just came over and went through the film with you and we could just point out? And he's like, and feel zero pressure to like take any of these notes because I like the film the way it is. If you want to hold on something a little longer, you want to do this or that. He's like, I, I think you guys did a phenomenal job. And we're like, we're not fucking missing this opportunity to, to fucking sit and go through the film with you. Yes, come over here, please. So he came over <laughs> and we sat and went through the fucking whole movie in about nine hours as he just gave us suggestions and we sort of made marks everywhere and talked about little things. And, you know, we, we, there were a couple of things that we were like, ah, fuck, we're going to keep it this way. And he's like, ah, oh, yes, because I, I love it that way. And then there were other things where we were like, oh, that's a great idea. And we took it and ran with it, you know? Yeah. Oh, see, that's so fucking rad. Ooh. You guys are just pumping. You pumping me up, fellas. <laughs> you know, like, this is so cool to have that kind of fucking experience. That is like a dream experience, especially for a young director, to be able to work with a fucking talent like that and to be able to get that collaboration on set. God damn it. That is so fucking rad, man. Well, especially under the auspices of him saying, because there's nothing more freeing for you as an artist to have a guy like that sit down next to you and say, take it or leave it. Like, I like what you've mm-hmm. done. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of the work you, we've done. Like, take it or leave it. And then for him to just give you everything he would do or thoughts he had or try this. I don't even know what I would do here, but try something like this. And then we'd fuck around it for like an hour and have something <laughs> that we both found that was cool, you know? Fucking or, awesome. or we'd fuck around it. Like, there was a couple of days where we went to like 20 minutes, 30 minutes. We're like, nah, it was better before. <laughs> we just went back to what it was. But we went down that road, you know? Yeah. yeah. It was fun. Yeah. We had a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. I don't know if you guys feel the same way, but whenever I get somebody, whenever I cast somebody and I get someone in front of one of my cameras and then, then you spend the, <laughs> the waterboarding torture that is hours and hours and hours in the edit room and you really sort of hang out with these individuals and you start to, to examine them. Like, you know, every mole, every like pore, you know how they move and, and all the bits and pieces of the heads and tails of clips, you end up falling in love with these people and they become, for me, it's almost like they become my kids in one way or another where you're just like... I know, I know who you are, and there's, there's such a passionate thing that comes. Whenever I finish editing a movie and I see the actor, I just want to go over and hug him and just hold him man. and just be like, I love you, man. You know what I mean? Just because of that experience. 200%, and probably the most extreme version of that that we've had, which is hilarious. <laughs> I was going to totally tell the story, you guys. <laughs> One of the first gigs we ever got was uh, I was teaching swim lessons to like two- and three-year-olds, and I ended up teaching Erwin Winkler's granddaughter. <laughs> and so Erwin Winkler is amazing. His son, Charles Winkler is amazing. And Charles like says, well, I want to watch your film guys. And it was our first film squirrel trap, which is a $1,500 movie. We shot in seven days and edited on an iMac and did all the post ourselves and got into a film festival, a few festivals. But as you can see, $1,500, our first movie, we did all the post ourselves. 
it's, sure. it's not of a quality that he's used to. <laughs> we give him the movie, he watches it, and he goes, Jesus, guys, you guys did all this? Well, yeah, he's like, oh, my God. He's like, look, I think you guys are talented. Come in. So we go into Winkler Films, and we're just like, you know, eyes wide, and we're just like, holy shit. And like, look, we got some behind-the-scenes stuff that we need to have edited together for the lovely, this movie that Irwin just finished in directing. Would you guys mind taking a look at 60 hours of, of <laughs> and see if you can put together something around uh, two, three minutes. And we're like, oh, yes, <laughs> whatever. And, and what was amazing is Charles is like, when do you think this will be done? Like two or three days? And we're like, <laughs> holy shit. Like wait, there's 60, 60 hours of tape. How are we even going to watch that in that amount of time? On the yeah. spot, he's like, what you, can you guys get this done in two or three days? Because the DVD's coming out and we want this shit for special features. Can you do it in two or three days? Our answer is immediately, yes, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> we go home and we spend literally like 70 hours straight of one of us like laying down and the other one watching and then the other one sleeping and the other one watching. We didn't stop for like 60 hours straight. We watched all the way through the footage and we all – we one of us had watched – part of it and had categorized it and what was in it. And sure. so then we start putting it together and we put this thing together. And this guy that kept reoccurring was the composer and his name was Steve Edelman, Steve. I can't remember, but he was such a character in the, in all the behind the scenes footage. Cause oh he was cute and he was cracking us up. We even came up with like a nickname for us and we were, we were having such <laughs> fun with it. And then like uh, six months later, we got introduced to him by Charles and he goes, hey, actually, you know who's here is Steve, the composer. I should have you guys meet him. Steve, <laughs> here's the Nels brothers. They did all this behind-the-scenes behind, behind the scenes stuff for uh, the Lovely, and they cut together all those wonderful little behind-the-scenes things for us. And Steve walks out, you know, just like doesn't know us from Adam, and he's like, hey, guys. Oh, he's a British guy. Oh, yeah, hey, great to meet you guys. You're very, wonderful. You did a wonderful job. We're all, Steve! <laughs> just ambushed him with hugs like we was our best friend. Like, what the fuck is wrong with these guys? <laughs> it's so true, man. You spend enough time in the edit room. And even, I have a, a funny story too. When I was casting, I was casting for, I forget what we were doing, like a commercial or something like that. We were doing remote casting. And uh, there was this one, <laughs> this one guy that I can never forget. And he was a bigger dude. And it was, for it was like this weird casting choice from the casting agent. We were like casting like the most vanilla person possible, and for some reason there was like this big black bodybuilder, and he was like this big dude that they thought would be interesting to do the casting session. And they were right because you go through enough casting tapes, as you know, and you're like fucking bored. And so that this one shows up, and the 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 bit of direction given to him was that he was supposed to turn to the camera and deliver his lines. So he does his first take, and he's just like. He's like, what's his name from fucking Predator? Uh, what's his name? <laughs> oh, no, Weathers, uh, or are you talking about uh, uh, the, uh, Weathers? Bill the Duke? Fucking, <laughs> no, Weathers. It was the fucking. <laughs> you son of a bitch! The fucking yeah. high five yeah, in the air. Carl. Yeah, so amazing. Yeah. yeah, so he's like Carl Weathers, and so he's got that same sort of build, and he's there, and he does his first. And I, it's always so horrible to see actors, you know, try to go through casting sessions. I always feel so bad for them and empathetic. And so he does his first and he does it to the person and he delivers it to whoever's doing the camera and he does like an okay job and delivers it. And so the, the person that does the camera goes, uh, you're supposed to uh, address the camera. And he goes, oh, okay, okay. 
And so the next one, he's still looking at her. He goes, camera, and then delivers his lines. <laughs> like he actually says. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so he has forever been etched in my mind. And if I could find some way to find him again and cast him in a movie, I would give him that line. Camera. So good. Uh, what a bad <laughs> Yeah. I fucking love it. <laughs> well, so moving on here. Mel Gibson, of course, is like what first caught my eye. But then I was like, fucking genius casting uh, Walton Goggins in this. And he, by far, is one of my other favorite actors that now everybody knows him. But I fucking loved him back in the day. You know, he justified days. And prior to that... Like he has always been amazing, and not only does he have the um, the dramatic chops to do very scary roles, but then his stuff that he's been doing with Danny McBride and Vice Principals—he's a really funny motherfucker. So, what was he like working with? Walton uh, goes a hundred. He he goes full send, uh, and and we were we he and I were thrilled to to have his interest on the film, and we couldn't wait to just get out there and work with him. But I mean, Walton like. When he comes out and, and he kind of like the skinny man lingers in him between takes, <laughs> like it's so you know, at one point like all the cast and crew are calling him skinny. They're like, "Hey, skinny!" Like, and he kind of you know you'll come up and talk to him and you're and you know he's he's you know he, he's he's there as 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 Walton, but he's also like there as skinny man uh, in, in between takes. And he can obviously turn it off and on, but he very much like lingers in his character the whole time you're shooting. Um, <laughs> yeah, which yeah. questions and you're like. Hey Walton, uh, you know what do you think of this? And I mean, he had this distinct voice and you know and and way of of moving with the character. So he would literally be like, you'd ask him a question, and then he'd be like, Yeah, let me see what I can do about that. Or like, <laughs> in the character's voice, and you're like, Holy shit! Like he's halfway here and he's halfway in Skinnyland. It was amazing. Uh, he's he's such a great dude, and he's so like committed. Like that's it's one of the most intense and awesome experiences I think you can have to work with a guy like that or that guy in particular. Like you, you get such a, you get, it's such a craft thing. I mean, he really just crawls inside of that character and uh, is, and he just, he gives you a hundred and 110%. And he's very, he's a filmmaker as well. He's Mm -hmm. directed and written and he's, he knows the indie side of it. And he knows that you're in a rush at times and he's fucking awesome. He's like, He'll do a take and he'll be like, okay, let's, let's just fucking go again because I, I know we've only got 10 minutes. You know what I mean? He'll be like, let's, fucking go. Let's, let's just do a series. Guys, can we do a series? I just want to go to it. We're like, yes, yes, fucking go, ready to go. So he's he's very aware. He's very aware, you know what I mean, of, of like what your predicament is. So you never – because at times it, you, can, you can get a cranky actor because you have to rush through this fucking important scene in 30 minutes when – you know, when you read the script as an actor and you're like, this is one of my penultimate moments. Like, I can't wait mm-hmm. to spend four hours on this fucking scene and really nail it down and like, you know, try out all this shit. Whereas Walton is, he loves that too. But I mean, he's also very much like, fuck, we've got 30 minutes to get this scene. Okay, let's run a, like, what do you guys want to do? We're like, let's run a series. He's like, great, great. I'm in. I, I, he's like, and even on some of those action takes in the end, in the last shootout, I mean, look, we, you've got a limited amount of time. There's a lot of fucking snow. People just can't move that fast. Um, yeah. You've got to try to reset the snow in front and back of them at times when you're when you're uh, running around in it. You don't want all these footprints and shit in it while you're doing it to make it look like you've done it 12 times. So you've yeah. got to reset the snow, which is a giant time suck and pain in the ass. 
And he was just very there with us and like, okay, I know we've got 10 minutes to get this. Uh, okay, let's go. You know, he was, it was awesome. He was fucking great. Love that guy. And, and one thing he's very into is he'll throw you, he'll, he'll throw you different looks all the time. You know, he's going to give you some of those, those curveballs that aren't necessarily in the script, you know, and there's a bunch of little moments uh, throughout that he, he did that for us, just true gifts um, as he interpreted the, the character and was like, oh, I'm going to throw this alt out or I'm going to do this kind of like wild thing right here. Uh, and, you know, he had us cracking up the whole time and it was it was great. And like once in a while he'll do something, but and he's aware of it, which is great. You know, he's not he's like, I'm, I'm going to guys, let's do one more. I'm just going to give you one that's fucking crazy because uh, I know you're going to want options. We're all, yes, absolutely. Because we were, I mean, we talk about that the whole time. It's like, you, you feel free to fucking have a lot of fun with this because we, we just as filmmakers, like, you know that you're going to need, the more experience you have, the more you realize the more options you need. And not yeah. like, I need him to be on the moon. It's like, you need him to be a little more serious, a little more funny, a little more, in, at, at times you're trying to sweet spot it because at times you need a lift and at times you need to bring it down. And it always just, it's a really weird balance when you're editing trying to figure out, uh, or what you can get away with really. Right. How far can I push it? Sure. Uh, sure. Sure. So, so it was, it was a great, it was a great balancing act with him as you're, as you're, we're having fun and trying to ride that line of tone throughout the movie. Well, and it comes down to good casting fellas. I mean, even like the casting of Marianne, she's fucking fantastic at it too, man. And like, you know, that casting choice and then the combination of her and Mel and the dramatic the tension and the dramatic sort of tone that they bring together in their scenes, which I fucking love. Um, and, and she's just beautiful in that movie, like absolutely wonderful in that film. So. I'm, so, I'm so that's such a I love I love to hear you say that because, I mean, that's one of our favorite parts of the film. I mean, we have many favorite parts and we're. we're completely smitten uh with our own work sadly <laughs> we're excited to get <laughs> off the ground but but it was that's one of our favorite parts is that you just don't know how that's going to work right i mean you get it you get actors in there and you you hope they have chemistry or you hope that and you you pick two people and you're like these fucking people f- seem like they're going to be fucking great together and and then they are and you're like holy shit like it was just amazing to watch them together because it was like they had such good chemistry together. They were so loving and so funny. And so like all that, like a lot of those little improv moments at the ends of scenes were, were just them having fun with the scene after the scene ended. And it was, we kept a couple of those moments cause they were so good and they were so funny. Um, yeah, they were just so sweet and funny yet supportive. And they, I mean, I guess it's just working with such fucking pros like that. Right. I mean, you get yeah. there and they're just fucking dialed. They understand. They're really intelligent. They understand the layers. And I just remember when we were talking to Marianne about um, just the character. She's like, yeah, it's a really weird balance. As you're like, she turned to us like two or three days into shooting. She's like, it's such a weird balance of like, I'm playing this iconic character, you know, Mrs. Claus, but I'm also have to be super grounded like a real person. But then, you know, like there's all these layers she had put in her head you know, it was every layer you see on screen of you're like, it's an iconic person, but super grounded in a fantastical world where, you know, mm-hmm. it's all these fucking things she had processed and layered and brought into a character. It was fucking amazing to hear her talk about the layers she was sort of, you know, wading through as she was doing her character. Yeah. And we, and honestly, like we were excited to, to make it an interracial couple, couple with a woman of color. And I remember we talked about, um, the accent. You know, oh, what do you guys want me to do? You want me to, you know, standard American? Is this a regional thing? And we're like, honestly, once we started conversing with her, we're like, 
let's just go with your British accent. It's amazing. And, and I think it's going to, you know, and we're, we're thinking it might add this really cool international element to it. And when we ran that by, we were talking to Mel about it and he's like, oh, I, I love that. Let's do it. So. Yeah, dude, it totally does. Cause he's fucking Santa Claus. So, you know, he's all over the place. So you know what I mean? it makes sense. He met the British babe and they hit up. <laughs> yeah, dude. I, I totally buy that. I totally buy that. Uh, well, yeah, one of the things that, how are you guys doing on time? Are we okay? Are you guys still got some time? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, one of the things that I love about this show is that I get to hang out with other fellow directors because it's it's rare. It's a rare thing to like be on other director's sets. It's a rare thing to sort of like, you know, trade, you know, how they do things and, you know, trade craft secrets and all that sort of stuff. And I'm fascinated because you guys got such an amazing cast. What's your process working with actors? Like what... What are your steps that you like to take? Is it like sit down and do a table read and everybody finds the character together? Or are you bringing on actors last minute and everybody's trying to figure it out on set? Like, how does it work for you? I feel like everyone they- is different. Like every every character, every casting move, or every every one of them is different, right? So, I mean, it's like with mm-hmm. with with the with with uh, Chris, let's say in Fat Man, like. Mel's character like we were dead set on getting Mel like we were like this is the fucking guy for the role and we had been for a couple of years and finally got, got the opportunity to do it but with Walton we had been we took meetings with like half a dozen to a dozen people about that role and although Walton is fucking a phenomenal actor he just wasn't in our heads right off the top as like oh he's gonna be great but then once we sat down with him and we were yeah. like Holy shit! Like this guy's <laughs> fucking great. Because I mean, Walton's the kind of guy at, at at the at the table will stand up and start acting out like fucking around, not full tilt, but fucking around acting out the scenes for you in the restaurant. And you're like, yeah, that's gonna be fucking awesome, you know? Like, <laughs> um, and then with like, yeah, it, it's I think I feel like it's different every time, and you just kind of have to go by your instincts and trust your gut on when you're when you're seeing something and you're responding to it, that you're hoping other people are going to respond to it that way as well. Right. Mm-hmm. But I think, I think for this one, you know, the alchemy was sort of, was sort of baked into the actor's response to the role and the conversations that we'd had with them previously. And when they got on set, honestly, they landed hot and it was mm. like, here we go. We're right in. We didn't have on this picture. We didn't have a, uh, the luxury of doing any sort of table reads or anything like that. Yeah. And I think it, and I think like there's other projects where we've done where we've taken 25 phone calls from an actor and, and, and they love to just keep talking about it and layering it up that way. And then we, with these guys, though, with Mel, with Marianne and Walton, it was like we had a conversation with them. They got it in their head. They threw out a bunch of ideas and we, we all sat around and yes noted and we're like, OK. Da, da. But after like an hour conversation with each of them about the film and the tone and what we were after and, you know, like who we were casting in the other roles or who they were – who they were going to war with, they, they formulated what they wanted to bring according to what we were talking about. And there, there really wasn't much conversation besides little nuanced moments of like, can we try this? Or do you think that this moment would bleed into that other one? If we did a little bit of this, or what if we did this and that would say something about this, like the little moments that we would think of on the fly and that they would think of on the fly. What if I tried this? We're like, yeah, that's fucking cool. So it's like, on this one, these guys came in super fucking dialed and I, maybe it's just because we had really, really, really experienced actors or maybe that's just their process and we had three of them on that on, this, on the same movie. But 
Yeah, this one was they all sort of just brought their A game after an initial conversation and there wasn't a lot of adjustments. They were just fucking that on. Like we were just like, okay, great. Like we, we're not going to, there's not going to be like a, a period of us, you know, trying to figure out how to fucking do this or that to, to, to get it slid, sliding in another direction. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was, it was, they were fucking came in and were, were, were animals right away. And I think they, they, that, that was, that came from the excitement over the script. That's awesome. I mean, and I think because there's a lot of, like I said, there's a lot of younger filmmakers that, that listen to the show and I get these questions all the time. And I think when you're just starting out and you're dealing with, uh, hold on, what am I hearing? Is that on my end? Oh, sorry. I, I live in my, my neighborhood. I live oh, right by a uh, car drives by. It's, 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 I'm so used to it. Like most of the time I have, like every time I set up my microphone, my landscaper shows up and he just likes to do a fucking launch. <laughs> I, I have to do a whole episode with him on the show talking about how many times I call him a fucking asshole. Um, so the, a lot of younger filmmakers um, are just threatened by actors or they don't understand how to communicate with actors. And I think when you're starting out, you're dealing with talent that doesn't have that kind of experience. And so you're trying to like figure out how to communicate with him and not over communicate with him. And it just seems like when you start working with really good talent, uh, there isn't a lot of communication needed at that point. You're just, you're just driving the ship to a certain extent as a director. And it's like, you probably should do that faster. Or maybe we get to the sequence a little bit quicker. Or that's really great. Or tone that up and turn that down. And it's, it just seems to be that simple as far as direction is concerned. Right. Well, you know what I'd yeah. say it is, you know what I'd say it is. And, and you, you were talking, you were, you were, you started bringing something to my mind that I I think Esham and I have hopefully gotten better at every movie we've been making is that there's nothing worse you can do as, as a director, I think, and to not be communicative or open to your, your actors. And I just remember on an earlier set on a movie we did that a lot of the producers and the, and the, the AD team were scared to death of this actor that was coming in because they had heard this or they had heard that and he was going to do this and he was going to do that. And uh, he did this on this other movie and da da da. And I know the guy that did this on that movie. Like you have to throw all that bullshit away uh, mm. is what we've learned because, because a lot of times in our experience, a lot of times it's miscommunication. So it's like, if you've got somebody that's trouble and you sit down to talk with them and you get a good vibe from them and you're like, well, fuck, he didn't seem like trouble to me. He seemed like a fucking team player. Okay. Well, what happened on that last set? I don't know. But then we get on set and we start to see that if we don't have, if we don't, if we don't talk to the actor and communicate with him and really be open with him, then I could see easily how it slides into a dark place or a place where there's no, no trust between the two. And the one thing we've done, that actor was, was having a hard time because it was an independent film. We realized it took some sleuthing after a day or two was having a hard time because it was an independent film and he didn't quite feel like he was going to get enough takes to do what he wanted to do, that it was going to be two takes and moving on. And that was what had happened on that previous movie that had a bad experience with him is that they were like, two takes and moving on. And he was like, well, wait a minute. <clears throat> Can we do another one? They're sorry, we don't have time. Moving on. And he's like, well, fuck. If you don't care about my performance and the movie, then what the fuck are we doing here? Right. Fuck. Like, what am I on? God damn it. Right, you know, I'm on a right. piece of shit that they don't care about. And that's not what happened to that movie. But because the guy's a great actor. But I remember when Ash and I realized that after like, like maybe one scene where there was a little frustration, we were like, why was he frustrated there? Interesting. Okay. 
we literally went up to him five minutes after we realized there was frustration after Esh and I literally whispering behind the monitor. What was that? What do you think? We're like, oh shit, this might be it. We went up to him. We we're like, hey, like we are not leaving until you feel good about it and we feel good about it. I just want to say that right now. Mm -hmm. uh, if for any reason you think we're trying to rush something, yes, we're on a time constraint. We don't have a big budget, but we're not leaving until we get it. I can tell you that right now because we're the ones editing this fucking thing and we're going to make sure we have it in the can. And he literally spun, I wouldn't say 180, but 90 degrees <laughs> and was like relaxed and was like, oh, fuck, thank God these people care about what we're fucking making, you know? Um, and I think that there's that, I, that's not everybody, but that was that one instance. And we've had other instances where it was just communicating to an actor or an actress and really having a heart to heart with them and being open and letting them know that you give a shit and you care and you're just trying to make a great fucking movie. And we need you. We need your help. This is why we brought you in. You're the fucking badass and we need you. Um, and yeah. those kind of conversations have gone miles and miles for us in, in gaining actor trust or, uh, you know, some, some credits with them you know, when we ask them to do something hard or we need another take or we got to stay an extra 30 minutes or whatever, they're like, yes, let's fucking make some gold here, guys. Let's do it. You know, they're with us. Well, and you also have to realize like no two actors are the same. Ever. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it, yeah. you know, you, you have, and you have to be, it, there is no universal playbook. And I think, you know, you, you touched on this, Mike, it's like, okay, Hey, how does, how do we collaborate with this person to get the best results? And that's a, that's a person by person basis. And you have to be excited by that. You have to be up for that challenge because it's like, okay, wow, this person works the best in this, you know, method. This person works yeah. the best in that method. Yeah, so it's, it's, it really is. It's exciting. It's fun. It can be. Don't make it scary. Make it fun. And I mean, yes, it gets hard at times because it's like, well, this guy peaks around like take three or four. And mm -hmm. this guy peaks on the first take or the second take or maybe like take seven. Like how the fuck do we get those people in sync? And whether it's like, hey, buddy, let's run a couple lines before we go out on the seven taker. <laughs> or <laughs> let's warm up. Let's get hot, you know, so that when you land, I know by three or four, you're both going to be about in the same spot. Or whether it's on the three or four, like, and you know the guy's, the other guy's going to nail it on one or two. It's like, okay, well, let's make sure we're on his side and that he's not burning himself out on the first couple of takes. We're going to shoot him first, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not trying. He's not He's not flat by the time we get to the other side just because either you know he's he's given all his shit on the on and we didn't really have him you know yeah another another thing we like to do is just not over talk everything before we shoot the first couple takes yes we like to we we, we get in there and we talk with the actors we, we we all have a game plan beforehand and then okay let's see what they wanted to bring to it and then we'll mm -hmm. make adjustments after that but it's like the first the first couple takes and if they're if, if it's great which it, a lot of the times it is it's like, you know, it's just, it's just give them the chance to go out and own the performance, put their stamp on it and get thrilled about it. Mm -hmm. Because there's nothing, there's nothing worse than like, you're always sort of, you're always sort of, uh, regulating confidence on the set, right? It's like, yeah. you as a director need to exude full confidence, even when you're not at times. And they, <laughs> they should never know when the time that you weren't confident was, they, they should just not exist. <laughs> and you should be, that doesn't mean you're not asking for suggestions or collaborating with people because you want to look, you don't want to look weak or whatever. That, that has nothing to do with that, but you should have an idea of what you want and you should be open to other things coming in. 
so that you can you can add to what you have because people are going to come to you with great ideas and you don't want to you don't want to miss those. But you also have to be strong enough to know, ah, fuck, that doesn't quite work with what I'm going with. But I thank you for that suggestion. Don't stop bringing me suggestions. And we've literally said that to people, like, especially when you start first working with them and they haven't made a movie or two with you. You're like, don't stop bringing me suggestions. That's not a no because I don't want to hear your ideas. That's a no because that one just doesn't quite work right now. But I, it's a great idea. Like, keep bringing them. And then, yeah, it's it's uh, I, I can't remember where I was going to segue in from that, but but yes, it's a it's different every time, and you got to lean into it, and uh, and have fun with it. It's fucking fun. Like, yeah, it's a it's a yeah. blast. It can be. It's you know what's fun. You know what's weird about it? it's we, what's so fascinating is that our business, our business is this weird mix of like art, tech, and and finance. So like you've got like these three, these three icebergs that don't want to get along, and they just sort of smash into each other all the time. Yeah. And um, with I think with a lot of younger filmmakers, and this has been what I've talked about on the show a bunch, is that it's very easy to get your head wrapped around the tech because there's tons of resources for it. It's like I don't know how to use this fucking camera. Well, do yourself a favor and just check out this YouTube video. I don't know how to use this edit system. Watch the tutorial and I'll figure out how to use the fucking edit system. Like the actual tech stuff is very A plus B equals C. But when you start to deal with people, and I think a lot of people when they get into this business, I know a lot of them are just shut-ins. They're like, I'm an artist and I don't want to deal with anybody. I'm an artist and I'm creating my own little thing. And they have to realize quickly that our job is incredibly social. It is like the most social job you could ever have. You're interacting with tons and tons of people, depending upon the scale and size of your movie. And so uh, the idea of going from like a technical brain, sort of closed off brain to try to figure this thing out, to interacting with human beings, and they all come with their own history, their own makeup, their own, like all that. And it takes a second to realize that it isn't a technical thing. You can't. There, there aren't a series of magical words that you can go and give an actor that's feeling insecure because they've never performed in front of a dolly op before. You know what I mean? They've never yeah. performed in front of a crew larger than you know ten people. And I think as as a director, and I, this is a whole theme of season two. It's empathy. It's understanding that that person has more balls than I do to get in front of a bunch of fucking strangers and give honesty and give, uh, you know, cry to like to give honest reactions. And, you know, in the beginning, I think everybody starts out with good intentions and they're like, look, I'm just going to give you everything. I'm going to give you everything I got. And that, that position is such a trusting position because then literally they can take anything you do and cut it to be anything else and, and destroy it essentially. So, after having a, a couple of bad experiences with that or, or seeing rhythms when you're on sets as an actor and just going like, this is just going to fucking be this again. Like, I get that. I understand that that is a fear. And you guys are really smart by recognizing that early on because there, there isn't a technical series of, of words that you can go say to an actor that's feeling that way. Like, you know, cheeseburger, bananas, and fucking ass rape. You know what I mean? And then all of a sudden they're like, yes, I'm fucking confident again. Like there isn't a series of shit that you can do. You literally have to go and be empathetic and have a conversation with them and understand what they're feeling and, and how, they're, how they've got to that point. And that means you have to be a fucking human about it and, and deal with them and... It's easy. 
it, it, like compared to learning you know how how like to transcode red code files to fucking work on a on a laptop like knowing to, to just go over and listen to somebody and understand what they're emotionally going through it's a lot fucking easier and i think a lot of people just don't register that because it feels like it should be harder than that you know what i mean yeah yeah i, I think you you hit a ton of nails right on the head right there it's uh <laughs> it's a honestly no it's a, it's it's been an education for us man and i think when we, uh, you know, I think as a lot of, you know, when we first got into filmmaking, it was more emphasis on the technical, on the cameras, on all that. And, and, and not that we, we still don't try to keep up on that, but that stuff changes so incredibly fast that you're like, you know, the, as soon as you weren't reading the, the specs on one is out obsolete and now the other one's out. So, but for, but, but for the, the craft of, of making the films and the collaboration that those, that tool set, you know, it's, uh, it always needs refining and we always need to figure out how to make it better. But that, that seems to be where the bread and butter is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You, mm -hmm. just, you just keep trying to make it, you're just trying to keep getting better at it. And I mean, I, it's, it's, it's not, it's not easy to do, but if there is a problem on set with an actor, usually there's a reason and you just got to sit, you got to just go talk to them and figure it out and hash it out so that everybody's okay. And you can all come back and trust each other again. Whether that's, you know, something was said, like I was saying, where somebody said something on a previous set to where he was like, well, we only got enough time for two takes for moving on. Sorry about your luck, buddy. He took that in that way. Sorry about your luck, buddy. You know, <laughs> you didn't know yeah. you were going to film. Fuck you. Whereas yeah. I'm sure that was not the intention. And I'm sure it was more like, shit, man, sorry, we only got two takes. And he's like, well, fuck, if we're not trying to nail it here, what are we doing? You know, and he got he got pissed off and insecure probably about what performance he had given it, given them and what they were going to be able to cut together, which I'm sure it was fine. Uh, yeah. But, but if they want to nail it too, man, and they want to be part of that process because it's their fucking face up there. Well, I will say it's like, you have to be relentless, man. And that's tough. Like to, to, to be in defeat, you know, you can't have at no point can you settle on it. It, it always has to be this constant push for getting it as close to perfect as possible. Um, and, and that really seems to be a key ingredient for us as well. Well, yeah. it, makes, it makes the big difference, right? I, I think, I mean, we, we have a bunch of, of, of filmmaker friends as well. And I, there are some that I incredibly, I really respect and have done great jobs. But at times I do see them saying things like, well, fuck it. I'm only, I, it's, it's good enough kind of a moment. Mm -hmm. uh, at times that's not all the time but i've seen i've and we try so and, and everybody's guilty of it right fuck mm -hmm. i'm tired of working on this fucking thing but i think you really have to try to just be relentless um and never fucking stop trying to move that you know perfection meter even up a, a point of a decibel you know what i mean like it's like if you can make a 92% or a 92.1 or a 92.2 or 90.5 or even 93. Like if you can move it that much, you should be trying to do it if you have time to do it. And Dude, especially on your own shit. Yeah. Especially if you're making it like the fact that you guys got to make this movie, it's like, it's like winning a fucking lottery ticket at that point where it's just like, I like the, the elements are here. Like we did all our hard work and we put all our shit there and then we put it out into the world. And then somehow the elements all line up at this fucking perfect moment. Like to waste that moment, to waste any of those moments when those elements align, 
you got to go 110 miles an hour because it will be over and it will be over and then you will then be unemployed again. <laughs> and that thing will live forever in whatever state you put it out there. So it's like yeah. when we look back at the movies we've made, I mean, we we liked, we like to say, you know, that it was 99% no compromises the entire way because – but there's compromises all the way. But it's like when you have to make a compromise because of budget or scheduling or whatever – like you have to make whatever that compromise is a hundred percent. Like you have to approach it as if there was no compromise and this was the hundred percent way of doing it from the beginning. And it's going to be fucking amazing. And we're going to make it amazing. And how do we make it amazing? If it's not, you just can't, you ever, you never, you can never stop spinning on how do we make this better? Okay. Yeah. Did that come across to everybody? No, it came across to 90% of the people. That's actually really good. But if it came across to the 90% of the people, how do we get that last percent like how do we get that last 10 percent? how do we get them you know you should be thinking like that always um and keep our vision how do we keep our vision and still get that last 10 percent? you know like you should always be kind of thinking like that you don't want to you don't want to homogenize anything you've done um as we were saying earlier you want to take those swings but there always is like did you understand the swing i took you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you guys feel this way too? Like for me, whenever I'm doing a project, it's broken up into like three chapters for me. Like you have the prep or when you're writing a script or you have a script and you're prepping it and you're boarding it. And then the world is your oyster at that point where you're just looking for the best version of whatever this thing is in your head. Like I've, I've never seen this before and this really fucking excites me and this is what I'm putting together. And then that's its own journey. And then you get to the point where you can make it and then, <laughs> then they come in and they go, this is how much you have to make it with. And you're like, oh, okay, okay, okay. And so then there's a whole other journey on like, well, we couldn't get that location and this place isn't as big and we couldn't get that piece of equipment and this actor fell through. So how do I put this together? And then there's this sense of magic that runs through the war that is shooting something and putting something on 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 screen and not even on screen, just filling up a series of folders that are bins that are going to sit in your edit system. Yep. And then when you when you sit down to cut it, I don't know if you guys feel this way, but I always open the bin and I go, "That's it? Is that all the footage that's, <laughs> that we got for that fucking scene? That's it? Oh, fuck!" <laughs> and then at the back end of it, you're like, "Okay," and this is whole other mindset. Of like, okay, what do I do with the shit that I have now? Like, how does this become something special to me? And let's play around with it. Do you guys feel the same way? Totally. Uh, yeah, a lot of that sentiment absolutely comes over. Um, I mean, like, what one example in Fat Man is that the the homestead, you know, Chris Kringle's homestead there, where the ranch out in the snow. Mm -hmm. But we we went and looked at at maybe we spent what a week. And we probably looked at a hundred farms, 150 farms to find <laughs> that one needle in the haystack because we had a very specific uh, requirements. And we were literally sitting there with our location scout uh, on Google maps, looking at the topographical view and being like, Oh, Hey, like that looks like there's a barn and a house and like, let's go over there. And this, the one that we found, this is kind of a surreal moment. We were driving up. It was, it was like literally going through a neighborhood. So it was like all these little houses with like, you know, jungle gyms in the front of them and all this stuff. We're like, oh, this isn't going to work. This has to be like in the middle of nowhere. And the road going to the left was called Homestead Road. And we're like, <laughs> get the fuck out of here. Homestead <laughs> Road leading to the home. Like, this is stupid. So we're like, let's go up there. And we go up there. And honestly, like we crested a hill. We drove through a little tree line and we looked out and there's a house from, you know, 1820 over to the right. It's a barn from 1840. And, and, it, and then we looked out over that beautiful vista and there, were, you, there was the perfect tree line where it hid 
every house that was their neighbor and we're like, you gotta be fucking shitting me. And like plant the flag. <laughs> this is Chris's, this is, this is it. We're, you know, we're there. Uh, so and that cool. took four days and like 120 farms later, we found that place. Oh my God, dude. Oh my God. <laughs> it's, it's insane how that stuff works. And then, uh, I don't know if you guys feel the same way, but I often, t- you know, because when you're given a restriction, because you're constantly given a restriction, like, hey, this doesn't, this doesn't work or this doesn't work. And then you have to pivot with that restriction. You end up finding something really exciting. And I know you guys haven't seen it yet, but a great example is uh, my film 12 Cam that I did, where I essentially had to recreate 1980s Russia, like a 1980s Russia drill site in a small town outside of Boston. And these guys lowered microphones down into the planet to listen to the sounds of, of hell, supposedly. And so I needed to find, period, uh, 1980s sound equipment that was Russian. And I remember talking to the props person, and they just looked at me, and they're like, you're out of your fucking mind. There's no way that we're going to be able to find this gear. And so we had to pivot and say, well, why would they have American gear? Oh, maybe they've now turned away from the government and they had to go to the black market to find this equipment. And that's fascinating. And because of that pivot and not being able to have it be perfectly the way I saw it in the script, a character now is is sitting there with a dictionary trying to figure out and decipher what is on the back of the soundboard and how that became such an important piece of the scene. And so I think what I'm saying is that when you're putting your films together, understand that just because you had an idea sitting in front of your computer in your safe little fucking house somewhere doesn't necessarily mean that that is the perfect way to do it. And sometimes when you're like given, like you said, 150 or however many farms that you look at, sometimes it's just the process of being open and aware to these things uh, that present you with a scene or a sequence in a movie that you never would have been able to preconceive, you know? Dude, absolutely. And first of all, like, look, we both watched 12 km the uh, the, tra- the trailer that you sent over. It looks fantastic. Can't wait. Oh, thanks, man. I, I, it looks really, really great. And uh, Ian and I have like batted around an idea of doing a yeah, movie man. in a foreign language. It was. Oh, uh, dude, it's. Well, sorry. It's go ins- ahead. It's insane. Like I decided to do because I financed it, so I was just like, "Fuck you! I'll do whatever I want." And uh, I, when I was trained as a director, and a lot of listeners have heard this, but I was trained as a director. I was trained as a silent filmmaker. And so for me, the challenge of doing a movie in a different language, I don't speak Russian. I have no idea how to speak Russian. I had to decipher my script, which is written by an American boy, <laughs> you know what I mean, <laughs> yeah. into the Russian dialect where they're like, they don't get cynicism, Mike. That was like the big thing that I was getting from my translators. And I was like, <laughs> okay. Uh, and then um, on top of all that stuff, I had to have two translators on set, one translator to tell me what was said and the other translator to tell me if that person was telling the truth. So I had two translators running the whole time. Wow. And then what the scenes became were studies in body language, which was really fucking fascinating. And what I wanted to do when I was directing it, and I'll send you guys the full short. When I'm directing this piece, uh, it was more about can me as an audience member that is too lazy to read subtitles get what's fucking going on. Um, and it worked out so weirdly well to the point where I didn't have it translated for the edit. I would just watch a wide shot in the edit, listen to the rhythms of speech, um, and then cut my sequences. And I only fucked it up twice. Amazing. So it, it's, it's, dude, I highly suggest it. If you can do something in a different language, um, it really knocks you back to the core elements of directing, at least visually, 
where you're sitting there going like, who's commanding this scene and how do I visually portray who's, who's commanding this scene? Yeah. And, uh, it's a lot of fucking fun guys. That's awesome. Yeah. You, yeah, you yeah. definitely, you lit a spark in me. I'm like, Oh, that's cool. <laughs> it's, it's really fun. I'll send you guys, I'll send you the short. It ended up being really great. Um, and it was such an interesting, wild fucking adventure to make that piece. Um, and uh, I don't think it would have been as good if I had done it in the, if I had done like the uh, 13th warrior thing or suddenly like he was learning the language. Right, right. <laughs> you know, you that's that's I mean? a pretty cool scene too. <laughs> 13th warrior. What's that? Where did you shoot it? So I shot it. This is a much longer story. Years prior to that, I was doing a, uh, a fan film. I did a Punisher fan film that got kiboshed by Marvel. And I had found this like big, amazing warehouse that was trapped in time in New England. And uh, if you've ever shot in New England, there's these buildings that are old mills that kind of still exist. A lot of them have been transformed into like millennial fucking, like, ha- like fucking hamster houses at this point. But... Prior to that, we found this place that the bottom level was a machine shop that looked like it was stuck in the 50s. And then every floor that you went up, it was like a different decade. It was like offices from the 60s, et cetera, et cetera. And I forget how I met the guy. And this was the difference between shooting in Los Angeles and shooting in your hometown. This is the difference. I had met the guy who owned this building and he was like, this building's going to get torn down in about two months. And I was like, okay. And he's like, there's still businesses that are working in here, but I'll tell you what, I really like your idea. I'll give you the property. I'll give you the building for a month for free. So I had the entire shooting space for nothing. And I was able to have my crews go in and build our sets in this space after their shifts on other big movies. They were doing like surrogates and all these other movies that were happening in Boston at the time. And so we had a month to prep this entire sequence. And so we built this drill site. We built the office over this hole, which originally was like an old loading dock. Um, and it, uh, it really fucking came together. I mean, I take a lot of credit for the hard work of people that fucking killed it on that, on that short. That's awesome. I can't wait to see it, man. Oh, dude, I can't wait to show you guys. And it, it, like, it ended up becoming such a pivotal moment in my life to make that one because prior to that, it was, you know, doing commercials and music videos and, and I, you know, long story short, I almost died. I had a head injury. I stepped on the ice and Jesus. Uh, slipped backwards and cracked my skull. And I had a hematoma and I was in intensive care for fucking five days. And then I was out of work for five months. Um, and in that period of time, I was just like, I got to make a fucking movie. I got to make a feature. And this is what I set out to do. And I haven't done this. And I've been wasting my time. Well, not wasting my time, but I've been doing all this other shit for other fucking people. Um, yeah. And it, making this short really changed everything. And like we were saying earlier, like you, you find that passion and that voice and you know, that short, if someone had said to me, Mike, you, you write a check for the amount of that short and you can end up in Ridley Scott's offices. <laughs> I would have written that fucking, you guys would have written that check. You know what I mean? No, it's awesome. Um, and it's, it, it's insane. It's insane. So, but you basically, took a, you took a risk, man. And that's yeah. what, that's honestly like. Fortune favors the bold. It's a cliche, but it's absolutely true. And you have to go out there and you have to be willing to put it on the line if you want the results. Yeah. Yeah. 
And you're never going to get into the position to learn like you guys have learned how to deal with an actor that's having trouble on set. You're never going to get yourself in that position to learn unless you fucking do it. And if you don't bankroll yourself, like if you don't invest in yourself to do that shit, then no one, no, fucking no one else is gonna at all. And so it's like really important to, if you are listening at home and you're like, how the fuck did these guys get to work with Mel Gibson? Like you said, you made... What was it? What was your budget on your first film? Like fifteen thousand or whatever the fuck. No, fifteen hundred. Fifteen hundred. Yeah, dude. Uh, yeah, and then we. So I mean, we made that fifteen hundred dollar movie. Then we made a five thousand dollar movie with four other collaborators or six, five other collaborators. Yeah. Uh, and and that one got so the first one got into a film festival. They got into uh, a so couple, but there was only one that was like decent. It was really yeah. good. Yeah. And then Night of the Dog, which is what we made next. Um, that got into those same festivals and more and won those festivals. And then we got, then like, you know, like focus called, you know, we got like industry attention. We've all, we got, we got, uh, we got representation from that. Um, and that was a $5,000 film. Yeah. That's awesome. dude. That we shot that's like cool. renegade on the streets of LA. Dude, that's fucking awesome. You know, I think the one thing that I fucked up on is that I should have, because my short is 30 minutes, I should have just made it an hour and a half. That's the one thing I fucked you up could. on. Yeah, you might as well have. Yeah, because that, that would have opened up, because, you know, going out to market as a, as a shorts director, even though you have like 19 years of fucking experience doing all sorts of shit, people are just like, well, have you done the fucking feature yet? And it's like, hey, how about you pay for it? <laughs> like, like, what the fuck, guys? So, yeah. If I could go back and do it again, I would have just stretched it out and made it into an hour and a half, and I would have done a lot better things. But say la vie, as they say. But you're gonna go back and you're gonna do it again, and you're gonna get that feature. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you know, it's we're we're, the, we're we're close. Fingers crossed, we're close. But this show's not about me, fellas. The show is about you guys, <laughs> and I just want to thank you because we're we're kind of pushing it at this point, as far as time's concerned. Look, if you're listening to the show. And you guys have, if you listen to the show and you put up to me saying fuck every five seconds on this show, then you have the same sensibilities as I do. And I'm going to tell you right now, this movie is a fucking classic. You have to see it. It is so good. I wish there, there are lines that I just want to start throwing out there, but I don't want to ruin it for you. Uh, so definitely see it. And guys, you guys cannot be the more down to earth, cooler fucking cats. And I'm, I'm happy that we've met. And dude, we have to hang out in real life and have beers and fucking just shoot the fucking shit because you guys seem awesome, man. We'll get some tacos. It's going to be good. Let's do it. Yes. <laughs> Mike, awesome. thank you for your time, brother. Really appreciate it. Thank you, fellas, so much. Um, and uh, thank you guys for listening. Okay, guys. So... I know that when you listen to the show, you're like, Mike is really excited about this movie. Is it real? <laughs> is he being paid to be this excited about this movie? I wish. God damn it. The only negative part about being paid is that I would have to come off unemployment for a week. But I wish I was getting paid to say how cool this movie is. I don't need to get paid to see how, say how cool this movie is. And I know you don't need this convincing because you've seen the trailer. Let me just say this. It is as cool as the trailer says it's going to be. That's it. I don't want to blow it out of proportion for you guys. I think it's a fun movie. It's definitely a Christmas classic in my mind from this point on. It's, like I said to the guys, Home Alone, this movie, Lethal Weapon. 
Gremlins. Die Hard. Not in that order, but those in the movies. This year for Christmas. I want to thank all of you guys for listening to this episode, and I hope you guys enjoyed it. If you couldn't tell, I had a fucking blast with this one. And the guys are really cool. We talked offline. I think we're going to be buds. Really cool dudes. I'm very excited about the new stuff that they're doing, which I'm not allowed to talk about. Very excited about the future of their career. I think these guys not only know how to make movies that I'm going to love and that you're going to love, but they also have a really good attitude about uh, sharing and about uh, just being fucking cool which I think is really important. And I think out of all the bullshit that we've gone through in 2020 and all of the reorganizing that has happened from there, I think the one thing that has come out of this is that at the end of the day, it's all about being cool. It's all about being a good person, right? Don't be an asshole. That should be the new shirt for the show. Don't be an asshole. And these guys seem like the coolest motherfuckers out there. So... Uh, thank you guys for being on the show. Thank you guys for listening to the show. Uh, lots more cool episodes on the way. Both Liam and I have been busting our asses lining up guests for the show. Uh, what did you guys think of the episode with Tarantino's producer? Right? Richard. It was a good episode. Uh, like I, I hope the firefighter ones come out. We, we're, we're doing all sorts of weird shit, man. So stick around. That's it. As always, thanks to Code Electro. Uh, thanks to Knight Rider. Thanks to everybody that gives music for the show. And uh, you know the deal. I will see you next Tuesday.